it's finally here. Opening day is upon us. We have our Atlantic League preview and a couple other things to talk about on this week's episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. We are back again. Episode number 163 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I'm Nick. He's Will. And we are here to do an Atlantic League preview. We are here to talk about the Pioneer League having a very interesting show with even more interesting hosts. And the Frontier League making a partnership with one company that we're going to talk about quickly and then move on from. How are we doing? You know, Nick, we're doing... I'm, I'm feeling really good because finally uh, the offseason barrage is over. Uh, we got actual baseball to talk about. We're recording this on a Friday. So when you hear this, we'll be two days into the Atlantic League season where inevitably people will try to draw conclusions about their teams that you simply cannot do. So, um, so uh, really, really excited. Another, another, I know we're going to be talking Atlantic League today, but Indie Ball is officially back and that's, that's extremely exciting. It sure is. And, you know, it, it's nice to actually have, you know, what looks to be pretty solid rosters and whatnot. Now, granted, they weren't the easiest to, to find and put together, and a lot of teams really waited the last minute to send their homework in, which, you know, yeah. I, I understand how teachers feel having the great stuff right before uh, grades are due now. It really isn't fun, but it is nice to have baseball back. It is nice to have independent league baseball back, and it is going to be a very interesting season because, like I just mentioned, there's a lot of really good rosters this year, and you know, last year we looked it over and we were pretty sure we were like, okay, two of these rosters stand above everybody else. There's a couple in that kind of middle tier. But this year, it really does seem like there's no kind of one front runner, I don't think. There's a couple of teams which I really wouldn't be surprised if they were yeah. standing atop the heap the at the end of it. But as we all know, uh contracts get purchased and that could be problematic for certain squads. Well, sure is, and that's the world of that's the world of indie ball that we live in. Uh, you know, we could we could spend uh, an hour and a half, two hours here previewing these teams that are going to look completely different three weeks from now. Uh, that's just that's just how the that's just how the world works. And like, that's also the thing when you're like when you're predicting like the end of season awards. Uh, I think last year, oh, I think Logan Morrison was my MVP pick last was my player of the year yeah. pick last year, and he just got picked up in two weeks. So I'm like, well, that's a waste. Uh, yeah. And so. Uh, that's just kind of the world that um, that's just kind of the world that uh, that indie ball brings. But I tell you what, I, I do agree with your point that uh, it's a lot more balanced this year. I think last year, and not to not to say that Lexington won't good won't be good again because I think they will be. Uh, but it's definitely a lot more balanced. I think just uh, you know just researching this like briefly, I th- I would say that uh, on a on a broad scale, the pitching is significantly better on paper this year uh, than than we saw at the beginning or, or like more towards the end of last season where it was just like putting up football scores uh, night after night. So uh, I think the, I think we should see scoring down a little bit. I'm hoping that it evens out because uh, at least to start, I, I do think we have better pitching across the board and that's certainly a good thing, but I, I agree. I think it's uh, especially, I think the North and the South divisions have evened out a little bit as well. Uh, not to say that they're completely even because I don't think they are, but we're on our way to a, a terrific Atlantic League season. Absolutely. We certainly are. But before we get into our preview, we do have a couple other topics just, just quickly uh, run through here. And I guess we'll start with the Frontier League's new 
uh, partnership here because that one should be fairly quick and easy to kind of get through uh, as the Pioneer League news is going to take a minute. With the Frontier League, they signed a multi-year partnership agreement with Baseball Cloud slash Yakker Tech. Uh, they, those two companies merged last year, so they are technically just one company, although it seems though the press release constantly refers to them as a two. So make of that what you will. But more importantly, uh, essentially what they do is they capture in-game data, a lot of ball flight metrics, uh, other live ball data, things like that. Uh, and this is all data can be recorded and then distributed. The plan is to distribute it to teams, players, MLB orgs. And the one that was kind of surprised to me in the, in the release was sports betting platforms. Now, obviously the initial thought is, oh, well, it, people are betting on these games. And well, I don't doubt at all that there has been money put down on Frontier League games before, because I mean, if you can gamble on it, someone has gambled on it. That's pretty much a good rule of thumb. Uh, I think it's more or less just gathering data on guys that may potentially make it to a level from which games would be heavily bet upon, aka international or major league baseball games or other sort of international competitions like Olympics, like World Baseball Classics, things like that. So to just have that data on file should they wind up appearing. Because as we know, there's been plenty of independently guys that have played in the Olympics, that have played in the World Baseball Championships or Classics. And it just, it, it, it does happen upon occasion. I imagine that's why it's going to those sports betting platforms, more or less just to have it on file. Uh, also, something of note, that this system was in place in Skyland Stadium up in Sussex County uh, last year. So it isn't totally foreign to the Frontier League, but now it's just becoming widespread in the Frontier League. I think obviously more more data uh, is good. Again, it's, it's good to get uh, data on these players to give it to MLB organizations so they can uh, potentially give them a shot if they, if they like it enough. Of course, the the baseball landscape is becoming more and more uh, heavily skewed towards analytics. So that's really important. Um, however, as the common complaints have been before, I really hope the players are able to get their own, da- or their own data. Mm-hmm. I really, and beyond that, and while I, I think that at this point, the players probably do get their own data uh, because of the, the uproar, or at least I hope so. I hope the fans have, have some sort of access to this as well. Uh, I, I think it'd be a really cool tool for the diehard fans of the of the Frontier League uh, to kind of to kind of get a gauge of the talent and if they're into that stuff. I, I think it would be cool if that stuff was kind of easily accessible. I never understood why some players like uh, analytical data is being treated like it's some big secret. Like I never I never understood why it was why it was kept so so under wraps. Uh, because it's not like it, it's contained like medical records or something. I mean, we're talking about how hard someone hits a baseball and how hard someone throws, what kind of pitches they have, what kind of repertoire that they have. That you can't that maybe you can't see. Um, that not to say that coaches or and whatnot can't see because they definitely can, but like a fan who's at a frontier league game can't see. Like maybe you go to a, I'll just use Jackals and uh, and Sussex as an example, and um, yeah. and the Jack and uh, the Jackal starters like, wow, he pitched really well. I wonder how hard he was throwing. And it would be it would be cool if you could go back and see, oh, he was he was sitting ninety four ninety six, topping out at ninety seven. Like that would be cool for for fans to see. Uh, and I really hope that 
I don't know if it if it does provide that stuff, but or you know they can say all they want that they provide it in press releases. Whether it actually gets implemented is another thing. But I really hope that that's what I think. I hope it provides more transparency, at least for Frontier League players and fans as well. And for the sports betting aspect, you know, I, I think I think down the road it'll be interesting to see if that changes. But I agree, it's probably not so much for Frontier League games at this point. Yeah, I I agree with that point. It we do know it has been an issue uh, in the past, especially when the Atlantic League first started for some players to access their data. So you would imagine, I would hope at least they have a better system and that's more easily distributed there. I think they they also are planning on incorporating into certain broadcasts and other in-game, uh, I guess features as well so if that is the case and that's also a, a huge positive there now i don't know if they're going to make it as openly available but i agree with you well it would be nice if it was available to the common fan we know the atlantic league does have stat tracking as well which is fairly easy to access well they don't really promote it but it is there you can find it not too too difficult uh to find there uh so hopefully that is the case in this instance but overall it seems like at worst it's just more data being put into the system. At best, everybody has access to it, and it gives you a deeper understanding. So uh, nothing really wrong with this Baseball Cloud Yakra Tech Frontier League partnership there. Uh, we switch to the more, I guess, meteor news here in the last real news before our preview uh, of the day, <clears throat> which would be the Pioneer League. They are introducing a, a streaming show, uh, the Pioneer League our Pioneer Baseball League, rather, PBL Roundup Show. Um, it's going to stream every Wednesday during the season. That's starting May 25th and running through September 7th. It's going to be available on all the team sites, so each individual team's website, like Billings, um, like Idaho Falls, like Northern Colorado, etc. Uh, the Pioneer League website itself, as well as PioneerLeagueNetwork.com as well. It's supposedly going to feature commentary, live analysis, guests from around the sports and entertainment world, takes uh, from players and coaches, as well as cut-ins to live featured games. There's only a handful of games. I think there's only going to be about four to five games a night if I had the correct number of teams in my head for the Pioneer League. So I imagine most, if not all, games are going to be featured there. And it's supposedly like Red Zone meets the Manning cast. Uh, now, of course, this is, sounds very interesting, but let's meet the people that are going to be uh, responsible for carrying out this mission. It's going oh, to. Oh, shall we? Yeah, these these are interesting folk, aren't they, Will? Yeah, you know, th this is the. Uh, I feel like the people involved. Uh, I don't know. It adds an extra spice to the story. Oh, it absolutely does. So we'll start with the the least interesting and we'll move our way up with there's going to be a comedian slash satirist will durst he's going to be doing a weekly segment on the show so he won't be part of the regular three-man team he's just going to kind of be a, a constant featured guest so uh he's there make of that what you will uh comedian joe list is also going to be on there he's done a couple of specials that have made it onto comedy central also did a couple of night uh, late night shows so uh, David Letterman and Conan uh, are the two I believe that were listed so nothing too out there kind of a little bit uh, since he's done the late night scene but he is a, a moderately well-known comedian 
moving on, we get to Bill Bavese, the former Angels and Mariners GM, also currently the general manager of the Arizona Fall League. So a guy that certainly is going to be interesting to hear from on that um, uh, player development side of things. Very much a guy that's still current with Major League Baseball, understands what these organizations want, understands what a general manager and scouts look for. So more or less an information basis. Uh, you can say what you will about his you know, tenure as manager, both the Mariners and the Angels, uh, but he certainly does have some inside working knowledge of and of major league baseball organizations. So he's an interesting and a fairly decent sized get, I, I would say. Now, the name that's really interesting here, it's Tom Brenneman. As we all know, Tom Brenneman was, you know, a play by play guy for Fox Sports, particularly the Reds. And he also did NFL Sunday. So, you know, it's a good group of names, but obviously, you know, there's some interest among those names. Yeah. We'll put it as interest. Um, I'll start with the first two first. Uh, yeah, let's get them out of the way. I some people, uh, you know, as far as Joe List and and being a comedian and stuff. Personally, I think that's kind of cool. That's yeah. how I do it. I I think it's uh, I think it's a good way to try and bring in more people who are not just because like. If you're trying to appeal to diehard Pioneer League baseball fans, I mean, that, that's probably not a big market that, yeah. that you're trying to appeal to in that sense. So you you have to have a guy like that. And I would much rather have a guy who's providing comedy than to put on some like TikTok star or like, hey, Charlie D'Amelio is going to talk about Pioneer League baseball. See, I would rather have, I would much rather have this than someone from like TikTok, and in which case you're trying way too hard. Yeah. I think uh, bringing on uh, bringing on a guy like Joe List, um, who's a comedian who's been around for a while, I actually like that. I actually think that's that's a, that's a good touch, um, and yeah. I think he'll 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 keep it entertaining. He'll help more towards the uh, more for the outreach of the show. I think that that's that part of it's kind of cool. So yeah. I, I I think that that that's I'm a big fan of I'm a big fan of the Bill uh, the Bill Bavazi. Yeah. Uh, addition uh, as well. I think it, th- again, those are two different perspectives, and Bavasi can bring like, hey, this obviously. What are the goals of these players? Because he knows more than anyone. What are the goals of these players? They're trying to move up into other independent leagues. They're trying to get picked up by an MLB organization. Okay, great. We know that. How can they do that? What are teams looking for? That's the type of uh, analysis he can provide uh, to really bring uh, fans inside uh, inside a major league front offices, and so they can really understand like uh, both the importance of this. Especially, I'm sure he could talk about hey, why the Pioneer League is a lot more is uh, very important with the draft being 20 rounds now. Uh, it's a, it's a much it's a it's a pretty important uh, part of that landscape as well. He can talk about that. He can talk about the draft. And again, he can really, it's very important that he can talk about what these teams are looking for. Uh, and when, when they're looking at, all right, where, how can I plug holes? And since the Pioneer League, can I pl- where can I plug holes in low A? Where can I plug holes maybe in the GCL or, or the Arizona League? Uh, l- just looking at guys like that. So I think those two, I, I, those two definitely, in my view, 100% on board with. I think those are two yeah. great hires. Now, Tom Brenneman. Yeah. Talented broadcaster? Yeah. Yes. 
Um, look, I, everyone knows what yeah. happened. Yeah. Everyone knows what he did. Um, I will say before I would, instead of me coming up here and like, you know, ripping him as I'm yeah. sure he's been ripped a ton. I'm not really going to go that route just because there's been enough of that. Yeah. It doesn't really all serve of, a all, purpose at this point. You know, we all, yeah. yeah. All I'm going to say is it's not really up to me whether he's the, whether he's been forgiven for what he did yeah. because I'm not part of the group that he offended. Right. Yeah. Uh, and to his credit, I will say, I, I believe I read, I, I forget who wrote the story, but I re- it was like a very long feature piece that I, I read about him, uh, about the stuff that, uh, that they interviewed a lot of, um, LGBTQ, uh, leaders in the, in the greater Cincinnati area, uh, and who said like, oh, this is a guy that, um, that is deserving of a second chance. And now do their, do their, uh, does their opinions speak for everyone? I, I don't know. Uh, I probably not. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's some people that are part of that community who say, what, why is he ever allowed on air again? This is ridiculous. I, I, in my view, it's not really up to me to decide whether he's ready or if it's too soon or if he deserves a second chance. I think the only people who can speak to that uh, are the, are members of the community that, that he offended so much in his, in, in his com in his hot mic uh, comment. Now, if they think that he's done it, that, that, uh, and I speak not as like does every single person because that's impossible in this world. But uh, does does like the do leaders of that community do they are they have they thought do they think that he's done um, enough that he's trying to help um, maybe LGBTQ youth or something like that uh, and uh, is is ready for is ready for another shot. I, I hope so. It's not a, it's not really up to me to decide. But uh, if they at the end of the day, they're the group that Brenneman offended so much. So if they think that he deserves a second chance, then who am I? Who am I to argue? Uh, however, it is interesting uh, from a from a Pioneer League perspective. I think that my my problem with it is from the Pioneer League side of things. Yeah. Let's say let's say that. Uh, let, let's say that he did get the blessing because I'm sure the Pioneer League did their background checks. Yeah. You would think. I mean, I'm yeah. sure they didn't. They, I'm sure they didn't just hire him just to hire him. My problem is okay. If he wasn't in the news so much, uh, would this even have been on their radar? Right. Let's say yeah. it was just a normal contract thing, or he's with the Reds, and they're, uh, he's just going to move on. Uh, would then the Pioneer League would Tom Brennan be on the top of their list if he wasn't in the news so much? I don't know, and that's the that's the thing. Is this is this a thing because Tom Brennan is a talented broadcaster and he can bring a lot of insight, or is this a thing with look? It's Tom, like it's Tom Brennan. You want to hear him back on the air? Tune into this. Yeah, that's that's, it, that's it, the problem I have with it. Go ahead. Yeah, there's a there's certainly a bit of a, a draw to that because like oh. What's he going to say? And his name now holds some weight to it. Plus, like you mentioned, he is a talented broadcaster. That was never the issue. So, I mean, that alone will keep people that don't really care either way. They're indifferent to, to you know, uh, that hot mic remark. And, you know, it is certainly, you know, you're kicking a hornet's nest when you throw his name front and center in a press release. 
because everyone around baseball kind of knows, you know, the whole situation that transpired there. So you're getting in some either outrage viewing or you're going, you're bringing in enough interest about the show to where people go, I mean, like I'm whatever, I'm Brenneman, but this show seems interesting. There's no doubt about it that you're at least benefiting from that. That that's something you are aware of when you have him on the, on as your kind of lead play by play guy. I mean, I agree entirely with what you said as far as what, uh, the circumstances around his hiring where, you know, if, if the community offended is fine with it, then hey, as for me, as far as second chances go, let's not pretend like this is some <clears throat> Fox NFL Sunday primetime game as a second chance. He's, he's doing a, a live stream show on the web for the Pioneer League. I mean, like, this is not exactly the highest of highs. He's starting pretty low on the rung here. So if this is the second chance, then, I mean, it seems like a pretty fair second chance. I agree with also the Bill uh, Bill Bavese. He is an interesting guy. He's about as perfect as you can get in that regard. And, I mean, I also agree with what you were saying about Joe List, too. If we kind of be real again, it is a Pioneer League online streaming feature that happens once a week. So you're not going to be drawing in even all of your diehards because they're going to be busy on a Wednesday night throughout this summer. That's just the reality of it. So you need a way to bring in other people. You need a way to keep younger audience interested. And I mean, Joe List is a guy that probably can do that. At the very least, provides a levity in our broadcast that undoubtedly will need it at times. So it seems like a pretty good cast of characters all in all. Yeah, I think I, the the show will be interesting itself uh, in, in and of itself. Uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to see that. Uh, but you know, I I think that think that the content of the show will be will be strong, and I think it'll be good. And I think that it's a good, uh, like you said, the cast of characters. I think the content will definitely be good. Absolutely, like the show itself, the way it's featured, this pitches this red zone Manning cast kind of mix. It's something that's extremely interesting to me alone because obviously we we know what kind of the Manning cast is about. We know that's basically both Manning brothers just kind of BS and talking football and talking to guests for the course of a Monday night game. And Red Zone is one of those popular things for NFL Sunday where you're just cutting to live action. And we've mentioned this in the past where, you know, a Red Zone for baseball would be pretty good because now you're cutting in and out of games and you're picking the most interesting parts. This is pretty much what we wanted. And so as a feature itself, it does seem interesting and it's something that I am definitely going to be taking a look on uh, May 25th and probably a couple other times throughout the year when I get the opportunity to do it because this this sounds like something of, you know, very much note. It It's something that I want to see how it turns out here. And I'd like to see the Pioneer League kind of take the lead and run with being independent because they, they seem to be doing a lot right. It's just they have a lot of really interesting choices also involved in their decision-making process. Oh, yeah, they got a lot of big names. But theme of the Pioneer League offseason, big names. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they certainly have not lacked in, in that aspect. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Hey, it generates headlines, and that's never a bad thing. On that front, we'll move on to the main part of this show, the important part of this show, which is our Atlantic League preview. Uh, if you've been around here for a while, you kind of know how these things go. If you're new, we'll, we'll give you the quick breakdown on it. So the Atlantic League preview, as well with 
all our league previews. We normally start by recapping the past season, going through any of the major storylines, giving you a quick breakdown of the end results, and then we go ahead and we give you a breakdown of each team and our overall view of the league. We do some award picks, and it's overall a pretty decent time. So without further ado, I suppose we could just kind of jump right into the 2021 uh, season review and the 2022 season recap. I'm very excited to get into the Atlantic League for this season. I can't wait. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's going to be a great time. Absolutely. So we'll go over the quick 21 recap quickly. Uh, the Long Island Ducks won the North Division title in the first half. The Lexington Legends won the South Division title in the first half. Southern Maryland won the North in the second half. Charleston won the South Division in the second half. Uh, both second half division winners lost in their divisional round. Then we got to the final from which the Lexington Legends won the league championship. We kind of knew in last year's preview it was going to be Long Island and Lexington. High Point may have put up a bit of a fight, we thought, but the end, while they did wind up having a pretty good record, a record better than some of the playoff teams, ultimately they did not make the postseason because, well, the Atlantic League does not like using logic and reason for their postseason structure. Instead, division half winners mean something, which, you know, I just disagree with heavily. But regardless, uh, the big kind of controversy news, which we spent many a week talking about, and there was much uh, online fuss about and a lot of player movement and even some player retirements over. We had the mound move back a foot to 61 and a half feet. Uh, players were then restricted from moving after a certain date. And if they moved, they were allegedly going to be blackballed. And then we did our checking around. It seemed like that was pretty much the story that we heard. And so then we gave them hell. And then other players gave them hell and coaches gave them hell. And then players wanted to kind of do a silent protest by throwing nothing but breaking pitches, particularly knuckleballs. So that way they screwed up the data and all in all it was kind of a shit show and uh, it wound up being really a marginal difference at best but because the Atlantic League and has poor communication not only to players and coaches but to their fan base as a large they uh, wound up having to deal with the media shitstorm and some PR backlash over that yeah last year for now on the fields uh, on the field we got the, the the championship series that we thought we were going to get. It was a great. It was a, it was a fun series. Uh, Lexington Lexington coming out on top, which was probably, uh, of course, they had a little blip in the uh, the beginning of the second half because yeah. they had that that adjustment where um where they had the stacked team at the beginning. A lot of those guys got picked up, so they were losing some games toward the middle of the season. And then by the end, they started getting some of those guys back. They started getting some of the better players from the American Association and the Frontier League. Uh, and just, of course, after their seasons ended. So uh, Lexington coming into, uh, they, they obviously played really well in the postseason, taking home the championship. Uh, in their inaugural uh, Atlantic League season. That was really cool. Uh, however, I, I will say, for the Atlantic League as a whole, it was just not a good year. Yeah. It just it just really wasn't. And it and I'm not even talking about just the PR stuff. Just the play on the field was not up Where to Atlantic happened. League standards. Yeah, yeah. It, it was not up to Atlantic League standards, uh, specifically on the pitching end of things. And, of course... Uh, the whole mound moving back, which again didn't really make a difference, uh, but just the way that it was communicated to players uh, and the way that it kind of just turned into uh, 
like like kind of like a dictatorship and then just put the league saying and you're going to do x y and z and the players kind of powerless to stop it uh it was just so many messes and so many just disasters that we'd never heard anything from the atlantic league about uh, and it was a shame because there were some pretty cool stories. I mean, Brendan Phillips freaking played for the Lexington Legends, and I yeah. feel like we rarely talked about that because there was there was some new controversy every other week. Uh, and, and so, and of course, the mound and the strike zone. And we, Nick, when you went over that whole thing, it wasn't even you, we didn't even talk about the strike zone. Oh yeah, we didn't even talk, we didn't even talk about you didn't even mention the strike zone and how much of a, a wreck that was and. Because the because of course one of the new rules is yeah we're just going to change what what is the definition of a strike because you yeah. know the stri- the de- the um because the, the three D zone is, didn't work that, well so now we're going to change it to just the flat one like you see on TV and apparently that doesn't work well because the real world is not in two D it's in fact in multiple dimensions yeah and it, it's it was just not good at all I. Uh, I, I the, the thing that I hated the most is just like not to go on a whole strike zone rant because that's yeah. not the point of this, but uh, but just changing the definition of what's a strike and what's a ball, just I I can't even begin to fat I, I yeah. can't put into words how stupid that is. Uh, but it didn't work. There was walks galore. Uh, there was walks galore across the league. The pitching was down. Better pitching went to the American Association and elsewhere. Just. For the from an Atlantic League perspective, you gotta hope for a bounce back year because, uh, as a whole, because last year was not a good year. But looking at these rosters, Nick, I think that there's some talent there, and I think we could see that bounce back. Absolutely, and I mean the, another thing that we didn't mention was how the double hook DH rule came into effect there, and back that was before they revised it for the 2022 season uh and instead they were just saying yeah once your starter leaves the game you lose your dh which then kind of for not great pitching teams created a situation where they were running through bench players more frequently or you're forcing pitchers to go longer because they didn't want to have to use their bench and it created a whole real situation there as well which while i am vehemently anti-dh uh, you can't really go in a league that's are never used pitchers hitting and then be like, yep, you're just going to do this right off the bat there. And to further that point about the bad pitching, here are your uh, five ERA leaders from last year, from the 2021 season. 3.2, 3.2, Daryl Thompson, because he's an ageless wonder. And quite frankly, his jersey number should be retired league-wide when he's done. But that's a whole other discussion. Austin Nicely with a 3.74. So, so far, not bad. ERAs, pretty solid ERAs. You wouldn't be terribly shocked to see them on the top five. Then we have Eric Sakula, 4.35 at Villanueva with a 4.39. And Darren Downs with a 4.5 ERA as your top ERA leaders. Your shutout leaders were all tied at one, all coming from Southern Maryland. Uh, Vivens, Devine, and Thompson again. Uh, it's just, you're not really seeing an awful lot here in the way of quality, uh, pitching, I would say. No, not at all. I mean, it, th- that, that kind of speaks to it all. And of course you gotta be qualified just based on the innings, but still, I mean, that is, that is startling that the fifth best qualified ERA in the league was, was giving up a, an earned run every two innings. Yeah. That's insane. That's crazy. Exactly. This uh, isn't even like uh, the offense was that good. It's more like the pitching wasn't that good. 
because there's a lot of guys, especially when I was going through and building out our spreadsheet for this, that I was like, he played last year in the Atlantic League and NCAA. I was like, oh, that's more of a Frontier League thing, but uh, okay. I guess the 23-year-old yeah. played in the Atlantic League against the likes of Courtney Hawkins and Alberto Callaspo. Okay, then. That's uh, an interesting call there. But it was just yeah. they were that strapped for pitching talent. Literally, that, that's it. They just had to fill they had to fill roster spots, and it was tough to sell uh, the idea of pitching from a 61-and-a-half-foot mound to guys to come into the league, maybe who were released from, from any MILB uh, team or organization. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's the pitching was bad. That's the main story here. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Michael Russell winning the batting title, hitting 360. I mean, it's not. Yeah, I that, mean, that is not going to happen this year. I'll tell you that much. 360 will not be the oh yeah, will I'm, not be the batting the batting champion. That's I mean, crazy. Like it was so crazy. 360 was the winner. Runner-ups were 355, 343, 339 and 335. In what other year can you hit over 340 and not even finish as a runner-up? For the by for the batting title, what other year can you hit three twenty five and I've be on the top five list, or three thirty and not be on the top five list? Like that, yeah. that's insane. But, Crazy. Yeah, but that's what happens when you have a league whose average ERA is a six seventy six. So that's gonna happen. But overall, though, the league was pretty solid uh, in the regards of the batting talent, but the pitching talent, like we said, was pretty bad. Uh, we have all the other stats kind of laid out here. You had your pretty standards here. Southern Maryland was probably one of the better pitching teams. Like Island was by far the best ranking in the top uh, half of the league and just about everything outside of saves, innings pitched, hits, and uh, strikeouts, everything else. They're pretty much number one, two, or three in. Uh, Southern Maryland was a close second, though. As far as batting goes, it's pretty undisputed when you look at the the rankings. Lexington is by far, or was by far, the best batting team in the league. They were first in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. 11 of the 15 categories listed. So that's pretty damn good. Uh, as far as the batting goes, you're not going to find much better. On the flip side, a team that really wasn't any good at batting for most of the year and made the postseason was Charleston and West Virginia. Uh, they were eighth in most categories, or eighth or fifth, it seems like, to be their number for their. They really weren't top five in anything outside of strikeouts. They didn't strike out all too much, which is to their testament. But, I mean, it was just not to... It was weird last year. You had some teams that, statistically speaking, did not deserve to be in there into the postseason. That is, that made the postseason. But it, it like you said, well, it was a wonky year, and they really do need a rebound and not have uh, as wonky of a year. Yeah, absolutely. And on, and on the Charleston point, I think it, I think it's Charleston is a really good example of a team that uh, we talked about guys. We talked about teams who like Lexington, who kind of went into a run in the middle of the year because they lost a lot of their guys. Well, Charleston was the opposite. They had, a, at least at the beginning of the year, I know uh, it was tough for them because they had guys with, again, this was like during, like I don't want to say the height of COVID because it wasn't, but yeah. uh, it, COVID was very much a factor yeah. still. And uh, it was tough for them to get guys into the country. 
Uh, they were they were signing a bunch of guys in the first half, which was kind of a disaster. And they got a lot of those guys back for the second half, and they started playing more to their potential because we both liked their roster coming into the year on paper. Yeah. With the Atlantic League, the playoff structure everyone loves, all you got to do uh, is play really well for one half of the season, and you, my friend, are in the playoffs. Meanwhile, if you play only very good for both halves of the year, you just kind of wind out losing out. Just ask Kai Point how that went for them. Yep, exactly. Second best record in the league, and they don't make the postseason. That's not a joke. But, <clears throat> anywho, I guess we've done enough to really kind of set the stage from 2021, moving into 2022 now, because that's really what the people want. They want to know what's going to happen in the future, because, you know, we are able to do these kinds of projections and whatnot, because it only kind of comes back to bite us towards the end of the year when, you know, we review the whole teams, we put the thing out, and a week later, half the teams are purchased. So, going in, basic information for the 2022 season. 132-game schedule starts April 21st. That would be yesterday that we're recording, two days ago uh, that you're listening. It ends on September the 18th. First half ends on the 4th of July. The standings will reset on the 5th of July. First and second half champions make the postseason. Obviously, if we have a repeat champion, we go to a best available record winner for a wild card. My, and I believe Will's disdain for that system is well documented, so we don't need to waste time going over that again. We have some new league rules that we discussed in the past over the offseason, but the quick gist of it, uh, drop pitch rules back into effect, meaning that any not caught pitch by the catcher will allow the batter to attempt to steal first base. It applies regardless if first base is occupied or not, so you can have a runner on first. Catcher does not uh, catch a pitch. Maybe it's just a wild one to the backstop. If the runner on first wants to Go down to second. Batter can take off towards first. Maybe it'll happen. Probably won't. We go into more detail on that in a previous episode. We'll link the previous episode in the description or the show notes, one or the other, if you want to listen to that when you're done here. Uh, Double Hook DH is also into effect. We are modifying it from last year's incarnation. Last year, it was when your star left the game. So did your DH, essentially making them one and the same two halves to make one player not terrible i like that but i like it more as a major league baseball rule not an atlantic league rule uh so they have altered it a little bit that is now if the starter completes five innings pitched then the team will continue to keep their d i actually messed it up in the little preview thing if they might know my mistake the way i wrote it was wrong. If a starter fails to complete five innings, then his team will lose the DH. However, if the starter does go five innings, the DH will remain in effect for the remainder of the game. Essentially, this move, they say it rewards longer pitching, but it really just kind of saves a lot of uh, bullpen arms and whatnot. It kind of rewards your starters for going deeper. And overall, it doesn't kill your bench because it's a lot harder to find players in indie ball than it is on a major league level where you could just reach down and grab a quadruple A or you're keeping a triple A for a day or two. Uh, so overall, those are your new rules. That is your schedule. We have some new teams and new managers, but let's go ahead and talk about the first half of the stuff I mentioned before we get to the new stuff. Yeah, so as far as uh, the playoff system... We've talked about the playoff system uh, a lot. Don't want to rehash it again. Uh, however, you know the halves, 132 games. Of course, uh, as far as the, as far as the rules, drop the the stealing first base, the drop pitch rule. 
you know, it looks, it's kind of corny and bad, and we've talked about it before, but I, I just don't think it's going to come into play very much. Exactly. So I don't really care, to be honest with you. Uh, th- however, this version of the double hook DH, I'm really intrigued to see how this works. Uh, I, I think it has the potential to be a, to be a good rule. Uh, that incentivizes starters going deep into games. Not that you see Atlantic League teams, because guess what? Breaking news: Atlantic League teams don't have guys chucking 97 with a with a with a with a big hammer of a curveball uh, that you can just put in for batter for batter in the fourth inning. So uh, you're not going to have you're not going to. It wouldn't be. It's not going to be as effective, say, in indie balls. It wouldn't be in uh, in in Major League Baseball. However, I think it's an interesting rule to test out. And really to just incentivize starters going deeper into games. Not that the Atlantic League has that problem per se. Uh, anyway, of course, last year, if you, I guess if you look at the numbers, starters didn't go very long. But that's more just because they were bad and not uh, not because of uh, any sort of bullpen management. Uh, maybe they perhaps went a little bit longer than they should have. Uh, just ask Gastonia. Yeah. Uh, now, if... Yeah, so I, I, overall, I think for the double hook DH, I'm a fan of how it was adjusted. I'm excited to see it in action. Uh, I think one day through, of course, as, as of this recording, one day of the season, I liked how, I liked how it went. Uh, I, I liked how it looked. So, uh, of course, one game is not enough to put any sort of realistic uh, data trends or whatever, uh, but I, I think it's a good idea on paper. I'd agree with that. I agree with all of what you said there. One day is not necessary, but are not enough not nearly enough to uh to draw conclusions on but it definitely does seem like a good start and i am interested to see how both of those rules work out agreed on the front though of the drop pitch if it happens what you say 20 times that's a lot yeah i think if it, well to be honest with you nick if, it ha- if, if someone steals first base 20 times this year i would think that's that's a pretty big number yeah like that uh, Honestly, I'm almost willing to set the over-under at 10.5. Seriously, why? I don't even know the incentive for a player to try and do it. Like, why Why would you even risk it? The only thing I could possibly think of would be if you just have, like, a 180 hitter up that's really fast. Right. Like, that would be something that would be of interest here. Or if you have a really strong pitcher on the mound and you haven't been able to get much going all day, and then they finally slip up by throwing something to the backstop, and you have a dude that's fairly quick. But, I mean, like we said when these things were first announced, the thing, re- the ball needs to really get away from the catcher. Like, it can't just go to the backstop, because you're still going to be pretty dead if they get even a moderately good kick off the backstop. This thing has to be pretty far out there. Right. Like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's got to be like, you better be sure. Because I know if I were a manager, which of course I'm not, but if I was an Atlantic League manager and one of my better players tried to steal first and got thrown out, I would be very mad. Oh, I'd be I'd be livid if they got gun stealing first. Like it did that. You don't want to risk that. I just don't see it happening that much. It's gimmicky. But hey, like I said, if you want to hear more talk on the new rules, you can go back to the episode back from I believe March. When we first discussed this, again, that will be linked in the show notes or the description below. Uh, go to new teams and new managers now before we get into the actual meat and bones of this preview. Two new teams for this season, one in the South Division, one in the North Division. In the South Division, we have Wild Health Genomes. Uh, we obviously know them as a 
uh, kind of a filler team. They're a one and done team. We're going to have uh, a new team in Hagerstown come into effect next year for the 2023 season. So they're kind of just here holding that place for now. Uh, the other new team, which is a permanent team that we, that we have talked an awful lot about. We've talked to people from the team uh, on a handful of occasions. These Stan Island Ferry Hawks are officially in. They are part of the North Division and they are, uh, they're here now. So that is good to see. They are in a major market. We have another team in the tri-state area, kind of going back to the roots of the league as well. As far as new managers go, we have a little bit of managerial shuffle, shuffling. Uh, Mark Minikazi is going to go to the Wild Health Genomes. Taking his spot in Charleston is going to be Billy Horn. And then managing the Stanton Island Ferryhawks is Eduardo Alfonso. So we have a little bit of shuffling there. All in all, though, uh, pretty interesting uh, year things are shaping up to be on the manager front. Yeah, a lot, di- a lot different for sure. Uh, very excited for Billy Horn to get, uh, to get his, uh, a job in the Atlantic League as a manager. Really excited to see how that turns out. Of course, he, he picked up his, uh, first Atlantic League managerial win on, uh, on Thursday night as well, defeating Staten Island and Avangardo Alfonso's, uh, Atlantic League debut as well. So that, that was, that was really cool to see. And, uh, Mark Minikazi just going from Charleston to the Wild Health Genomes. Again, kind of just a, uh, it's the same ownership group, so I'm sure yeah. they can just kind of do that. Yeah, they uh, just if they want them. to. Yeah, so it, it, not a huge deal there, but I mean, Edgardo Alfonso being an indie ball manager, very, very fascinating storyline to watch this year for sure. And of course, Staten Island uh, coming into the league this year, really exciting, definitely. Uh, going to try and get up get up there quite often as well uh so that should be fun i i'm excited to i will say i am excited to not that this completely relates to like the baseball on the field yeah. i am interested to uh when i i'm i'll try I'll, i'm definitely gonna try to go there because of course they're starting on the road for about for about two weeks just yeah. as they finish up renovations uh, at their ballpark very interested to see what the differences are because I, I went there for quite a few times when they were an affiliated team with the Yankees and it was not a great stadium. Very interested to see the differences uh, that this new ownership group has brought. So that'll be interesting to see. Uh, more on more of on a personal note, but uh, I, I think that having a team in Staten Island, it's exciting, it's cool, and uh, and yeah. Yeah, no, I mean it's certainly still important, nonetheless, fan experience is an important indicator and bringing back people from when uh, Stanton Island was affiliated although you know different different a lot uh, is still important though so on that note we can continue to talk about Stanton Island because they are the first team up on the the spreadsheet on the dock and we are going to get right into previewing them uh they the ballpark they play in uh, the dimensions for that is 320, 390, 310. Uh, that's just important to know. So that way we can kind of get a gauge on hitter ballparks and things like that. I threw it in there because why not? Uh, we'll start with the batting because that's what's up first here. Making up the batting on this team, we have Darlin De La Rosa, Brandon Wagner, Ricardo Cespedes, Ben Ruda, Norberto Susini, uh, Casey Clemens, Angel Aguilar, Javier Bentoncourt, 
Brantley Bell, although small caveat on Brantley Bell, uh, he, while he got dealt there from Tri-City, supposedly he's going to be moved back to Tri-City for Frontier League opening day in a little under a month. So he'll be here for probably about two to two and a half weeks, think about 17 days or so, and then he'll probably go back to the Frontier League if things go as expected on that front. Jalen Smith also joins in. Kevin Krause, a local kid to the island as well. Uh, he's there. And Kelsey Whitmore, obviously well-known. She's more of a utility player, uh, although she was listed officially as a pitcher. But she's kind of done everything. And she, has a, she also pinch ran last night, if I'm not mistaken. So that is the setup for the Stanton Island Ferry Hawks going into the 2022 season. As we just mentioned, Eduardo Alfonso is the first year manager of the Ferry Hawks. He has a history in affiliated ball, but not in unaffiliated ball outside playing for Norca for a little bit. But outside of that, what are we looking at for this Ferry Hawks team? So, um, as far as the offense, uh, and we'll get into the pitching in a little in uh, following this. Yes. I'm concerned about this offense. Uh, I don't see a, a whole lot of power in this lineup, uh, in, in, in this lineup, uh, at least. I think Casey Clemens is, uh, you know, obviously he's a big name, pretty good player. He's not going to be anything, uh, any, anything crazy. Uh, however, you know, I, I think that this lineup is going to struggle a little bit to score runs. I, I would hope, at least in the ballpark they play in, uh, the dimensions have to be a little bit smaller because uh, because they have the water behind the ballpark. So you'd like to have a bit a bit better of an offense uh, and just the guys they're relying on. I, I just I'm just not sure. I mean, Casey Clemens he batted lead off in their opening game, uh, or excuse me, not lead off, clean up in, in their in their opening game. So I think they're relying on him for a lot, uh, and he's however far he goes, uh, they will go. Now, as good as uh, as good as Casey Clemens is, big big fan of Kevin Krause. We know what he did in, in Fargo Moorhead. He had an excellent year, mm-hmm. uh, an excellent year last year. So uh, that is go- those two are going to be the best hitters in this lineup, uh, at, at least uh, you would on think. Paper, yeah. Uh, yeah, on paper, uh, absolutely. Uh, a couple other interesting names as well. Ben Ruda and Brandon Wagner. These are both guys that played, uh, even though Ben Ruda did technically come from the San Diego Padres organization a year ago, spent a lot of time in the Yankees system. Uh, Brandon Wagner spent a lot of time in the Yankees system as well. Both guys who, I don't want to call them quadruple A players because they're probably not that caliber, uh, but guys who were veterans who kind of bounced between double A and triple A, like, Hey, you're going to be one of our better double A players, uh, but probably more brought up to triple A as more of a depth than a filler role. Um, both those guys struggled last year uh, in their respective minor league systems. However, I think both those guys are going to be interesting to see if they can bounce back, uh, especially both of them played in Staten Island as well. Yeah. Uh, that this should be noted in the Yankee system as well uh, in the, in the New York Penn league that no longer exists. Uh, but, uh, Brandon Wagner and, and Ben Ruda, those are two guys that, uh, that I'm looking forward to. But I think this, when you look at this lineup, I think it lacks, I think it's going to lack as far as scoring runs and power. Maybe I could, maybe I'm wrong about it, but at least on paper, that's how it looks to me. And they're going to be relying a lot on Kevin Krause and Casey Clemens, uh, to produce runs. And I think if guys like Brandon Wagner and Ben Ruda can produce for them, I think it'll go a long way, uh, but I would say I would probably put this lineup 
more towards the bottom of the league, at least on paper. I don't know about I don't know about what you think. I agree with a lot of that. I agree, especially on uh, Clemens and Kraus. I'm really big on Kevin Kraus. Kevin Kraus looked really, really good in Fargo last year, and I'd say that that's a very, very good comparable uh, in that regard. Now, he was moved around a bit. Sometimes they had him behind the plate. Sometimes they had him DHing. Sometimes they had him in the outfield. Uh, that's kind of why I list him as a catcher that's also a utility player. So I'd expect for him to kind of still fill that role. He's capable of filling that role. Uh, overall, though, I there's no one else really that you didn't mention that, I, that jumps off the page to me. Perhaps Javier Betancourt. A little bit because he has had good years in the past. Now, Grandin's mostly uh, Frontier League there. He had a little bit of time in Sugarland, I believe, back in either 2018 or 2019. Uh, so perhaps he is somebody of note as well. On Hale Aguilar, maybe. But overall, I think he did a pretty good job of summarizing this lineup well, where it's just there's not much offensive potential here. That clearly wasn't their priority or their focus when building this lineup. But what was the priority, what was their focus, was definitely the pitching, and particularly pitchers that throw very, very hard. That seemed to be a, one of the main priorities with this team, which can work. It certainly can work. And while there are some guys on here that don't really have much experience, there are guys that have a lot of it. So we'll kind of go through with the guys that were listed as starting pitchers, then we'll go through the relievers, and uh, we'll, we'll, you'll see what we mean. Uh, so starting off with a bang here is Julio Tehran, who you may know from being a two-time Major League All-Star, uh, which when I saw that get announced yesterday, I was like, oh, Julio Tehran. Okay, that's one way to make an impression. They are a pitching yeah. team. Um, I believe this would be Jossier Herrera, uh, Joel Hontes, Matt Soltar, Anthony Rodriguez is not really listed as anything, so I'm going to assume that he can do kind of everything. Uh, then we have Jordan Simpson, who straight up could not find stats for Jordan Simpson. Uh, so we don't really know anything about him. Uh, on the reliever front, Jose Velez, Eddie Reynoso, Williams Jerez, Connor Law, Joe Cusa, Victor Capion, and we, of course, have no one else because that is everybody. And I didn't go in the order of reading through the list. So that is the pitching staff for the Fairy Hawks for 2022. Uh, some interesting names there, no doubt. Absolutely. And I think this team is, as you mentioned, Nick, they're going to be built on pitching. Uh, and Julio Tehran right at the top. Uh, I mean, yeah, of course, he was their opening day starter yesterday. He started down against Charleston. He, he looked pretty, and he looked pretty good. Yeah. Uh, he went four innings, gave up three hits, uh, two earned, two runs. One of those were earned, uh, one walks, four Ks. Uh, so Julio Tehran, I mean, at the top of that rotation, is he is he is a really big name. Uh, he's struggled with injuries over the last uh, over the last uh, couple years, few years. He's just a guy that uh, he, he was a borderline ace in the MLB. Yeah, uh, more more in his time with Atlanta, and then. Uh, oh, and you're then telling the, the Met injury... fan about how good Julio Torres. Yeah, was. that's true. Uh, and you know it, he struggled a lot with injuries, so uh, that that kind of sucked for him. Uh, but and of course he he got hurt after just one start last year. Yeah, uh, he started started the year with the De Detroit Tigers, made one start, uh, and immediately found himself uh, on the IL. Did not come back. Uh, so, I however, my concern with relying too much on him is, honestly, I think he is a guy that 
if he can show he's healthy for even a few starts and looks look sharp, I think he's gone. Yeah, so no, he's not lasting. That, so I think relying on Tehran to be the ace of this team is not is not particularly wise because uh, I just don't think he's going to be there very long. Uh, not to say that it was it was a bad move to bring him in because certainly it was not. Oh, uh, but I I just don't think he'll be there very long now. I, the th- the part of this that really uh, interests me is the back end of this bullpen. Of course, that being Victor Capion. Does Victor Capion need any introduction? Uh, he is uh, arguably the best is- closer in the history of independent league baseball. Right, right. Yeah. So, uh, so Victor Capion, a uh, great option. Jose Velez, uh, another terrific arm in the back end of that bullpen. Williams Jerez. He's a guy who's seen some MLB time before, uh, and uh, he had a rough year in AAA last year, no doubt about it. Uh, but it, especially as a left-handed reliever, uh, if you can keep the ball in the strike zone, uh, he's a guy that'll miss bats. Uh, so Jerez is a pretty—he's a pretty decent arm. I like him a lot. I, I'm interested to see uh, what he does. Uh, and one of the another starter that I am um, that I am very high in is—I uh, hope I'm saying this right—Yasier uh, Herrera. From uh, yep. coming over from the Giants organization, not exactly sure why he was uh, why he ended up being released, uh, but he especially in high A, more as a bullpen arm, had a really good year last year, uh, and even in the Venezuelan Winter League this year, uh, he was awesome uh, in his short time there, striking out 15 guys in uh, nine and thirds in the nine and a third innings, and not to mention he's a guy that's going to pound the strike zone. He's not going to walk guys, and that's something that again that if you, you if you in the Atlantic League and you can throw strikes and you're not putting guys on base, that is key, especially for a guy that his age. So uh, I, Yasiel Herrera is the guy that I think is going to end up. Of course, with Julio's hair on there, he's not at the moment. But I think come the year's end, I think Herrera is going to be the guy for them. But I, I like this pitching staff. I, I'm worried a little bit about the back end of the rotation, but that's not a that's going to be a common theme, as you'll find out. But I think the back end of this bullpen is strong, uh, and so I, I like the pitching staff on this team. I'd agree with that. I would say Matt Soltar is a guy I like to look at. He's a guy that's been around indie ball for a while. He's a known starter. He's a known commodity. Yes, he walks a, a, a good little bit of pitchers, but our not pitchers. He we walks a lot of guys, about one every three innings or so. So he does walk some guys, but overall he strikes out a lot of guys too. He's good for a strikeout an inning. I like him. Connor Law is a guy I'm kind of interested in as well. He's a guy that throws hard. And I mean, again, the whip isn't great. So that this is a little concerning to me. But again, I, I do think he's an interesting guy from just a hard throwing perspective. Herrera, I agree with you, is an interesting guy, and I agree on uh, Tehran not being long for this league. I think he is going to be picked up in fairly short order. I wouldn't imagine he makes it to June, to be quite honest. So that could be an issue for, for the Fairy Hawks. But overall, I would say Herrera is interesting in the sense of, I'm not sure how much of a starter he really is. So I'm not sure if he's best utilized there. Maybe if they need another bullpen arm and you could find a starter to replace him, maybe using him as like, a, a back-end guy could be something of note. I understand you have Velez, who's good. You have Capion, who's coming off of an injury and looks to be a lot better of a pitcher now that he's not pitching with pain in his arm, which, you know, is a major factor. So, you know, I, I do like the bullpen a lot just from those two guys alone, but I think if you added Herrera in there too as like a 7-8-9 type of situation, then you'd have a really, really good bullpen. But uh, as far as him as a starter goes, we'll see on that. It's just I, I'm not sure he has started enough to kind of ease that concern. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I, I think that's definitely fair. So I, I think that'll that'll be determined. But he he definitely has good stuff. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, uh, Soltar could could be a good back end starter as well. Uh, so, but I, the back end of the bullpen is good. I think the pitching will keep them in a will keep them in a lot of games, especially uh, in in a north in a north division that the that the Ferry Hawks could definitely stay in. Yeah, that's the one thing about this North Division. I would say it's definitely the the lesser of the two divisions again this year. The South Division has two or three teams in it that honestly look very, very strong. And even the fourth team isn't entirely out of contention either. In a different playoff structure, I would not be shocked in the least bit to see three teams come out of the South. But uh, it's, yeah. the system is not really conducive to that. We'll move to Lancaster now. Uh, they have returned Ross Peoples as their manager. It's his fifth year. 257 and 268 is his record as the manager of the Barnstormers. Uh, his team leads the, goes into the North Division, or stays in the North Division, rather. And they will be led by Anthony Peroni, Colton Shaver, Anderson Falez, Andretti Cordero, I believe is how that is, uh, Jake Hoover, Kelly Dugan, Melvin Mercedes, Trace Lower, Devin Torrance, Ladarius Clark, Mark Zagnusis. Uh, that's probably horribly wrong. But hey, Oof. if I only get one wrong, it's just, it's just Zagunis. Zagunis. How the hell is that Zagunis? Like, I feel like I'm obligated to get one wrong too. I'm yeah. justifying it to myself now. But hey, why don't you talk about the the barnstormers here from Lancaster? Because nothing can be pronounced correctly around here. That's right. So, uh, Lancaster, if you've been listening to this show, you know how much we love the the, the, the Lancaster Barnstormers. Uh, uh, and maybe it's because we checked on their team ER, right? Because it was so horrid last year. Which it um, finished at 691 last year. Just want to say, one last final uh, 2021 Lancaster ERA check. That's right. So, uh, it, it wasn't good for them. Uh, their, off- their offense was good. Uh, they they helped keep them in. I mean, their offense literally was keeping them in, in a potential playoff race, which was impressive given how horrific their pitching was. Uh, they bring a lot of those guys back. I'm worried when I look at this lineup. I, I think I think Marcus Agunis is a guy that I'm really interested in because he has that track record. He's played in the MLB. He was a former top prospect. Uh, he's had good AAA numbers in the past. He hasn't played since 2019, but I think that that converts well. Uh, to the Atlantic League, especially in a in the hitters' paradise that is that is Clipper Magazine, uh, so that I'm interested in. I think Ladarius Clark is very good. Uh, bringing him back, bringing him back uh, is big as well. Uh, I think Colton Shaver behind the plate. I I think Colton Shaver. Uh, he's got to cut down the strikeouts a little bit, uh, but I think maybe against facing a little bit less velocity than he did uh, in AAA and AA in the Houston Astros organization, he's shown he has power. He hit 13 home runs behind the plate. That's a, that's pretty big. I, I think that's going to be something to watch. However, uh, he can't strike out over 100 times again, that or else that probably decreases how effective he can be. And of course, you can't talk about this uh, Barnstormers offense without talking about the return of Kelly Dugan, an incredibly good year last year for him, hitting 326, an OPS of nearly 970, hit 15 home runs. His swing is made perfectly for Clipper Magazine, and uh, he had a really good year last year. Uh, you know, Melvin Mercedes as well, a shortstop hit over 300. I think he's a guy that I just I don't know if he's going to keep that up this year 
just because the I think the pitching is better, and at least the track record of Melvin Mercedes uh, is a guy who's more of a glove first and not so much of a of a hit first type of guy. I don't know if we saw a lot of guys who I was very surprised that put up big numbers last year that I think was more of a result of the pitching. Mm-hmm. I think Melvin Mercedes probably falls back a little bit and regresses a little bit. Uh, but overall, I think the, I think the Barnstormers offense is solid. They, it, it's a very similar group. Uh, I think they, they're going to hit for a lot of power. Um, uh, and specifically Mark Zagunas, he is a guy that I'm really high on. And, and I think you could see him. Uh, in potential uh, Atlantic League award talks uh, near the end of the season. I don't know what you think. We're, we're Of course, we're far away from that kind of talk, uh, but I think he could be in that conversation. I'm not going to disagree with that. I do want to just throw out here to the dimensions of uh, Flipper Magazine. It would be 320-409-400, just for those unaware. And uh, overall, I do agree with a lot of what you're saying. There are some guys here that are interesting. I do want to say, I, I think Anderson Fillet's is another guy that could be of note, a uh, guy that, you know, it wasn't exactly lighting the world on fire in triple slash double A last year with Baltimore, but is a guy that I think has enough talent to really kind of benefit from that. Plus one of the few guys on here that has some home runs of note, obviously he strikes out a little bit too much, but you know, if you could get that under control, which I think he will be able to, uh, he could be someone of note too. Overall, it's just a lot of guys that are returning. I mean, there's what, one, two, three, four, five, six guys, six that had some time spent in, uh, Lancaster last year that come back. So it's hard to really say that, um, one, that this team is all too different on that front. You mentioned some of the guys that are different, so that they are of note, and I agree with that. But overall, I think it's going to be roughly the same pitching type of, or not pitching, but batting type of performance that we saw from the Barnstormers last year, this year, if I'm being entirely honest. I would agree with that, just because there are, um, that there are so many returners on this offense. But, I mean, they... It's not entirely a bad thing, given some, like, some, given some of the guys uh, that they are that they are bringing back. You know, I, I think that uh, uh, again, they're going to hit. They're going to hit for. They're going to hit for power. More middle of the pack. They're third in the league in runs scored last year. Uh, I think that. Uh, I, I think that this offense will be solid for sure. Uh, and I think if guys like potentially like Colton Shaver can um, can provide more of that power as well, I think this could be a solid offense. I'm not going to disagree with that. I just, like I said, I, there, there's a lot of returning, uh, factors there. And to be fair, Lancaster was a kind of surprisingly decent batting team last year. If you look at the, where they ranked on some stuff here, I mean, they ranked third in at bats. They ranked fourth in slugging, fourth in on base and slugging, third in run scored, second in doubles. They, they put up their runs. They got their fair share, first in walks. So they were a decent team on that front. So, I'm not going to, you know, say they're a bad batting team. It's just I think it's going to be a fairly similar performance. Uh, regardless, moving to the uh, pitching side of things, Cameron Gann, Hunter Spear, Augie Slyke, uh, Ben Wagner, or Wang, yeah, Wagner, I guess is how that would be pronounced, although it's spelled W-A-N-G-E-R, so it's a bit different, but I assume. Uh, Brett Teller, Chase Johnson, Dominic Sabatino. Uh, Josh Graham, Donald Goodson, Oscar De La Cruz, Scott Showman. Uh, we're gonna skip over Mark's name because oh come on, Mark Rich- Richinsky. R- 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 what R- will R- said? R- 
Trzinski? No, yeah, no. Yeah, Trzins- that's- no, no, it's Rachinski. He used to pitch in the MLB. I know that I'm not even gonna attempt that. That's too many. There's a Z next to an E next to a P next to a C. That's that ain't gonna happen. Uh, Niall Ball will happen though, and same thing with Tommy Shirley, Tyler Laporte, and uh, Tyler Sullentrope, Wesley Rodriguez. That is all that we have on the pitching front. It's a team that got to be better pitching wise than last year though. Yeah, that's the that would be the main thing that I'd like to drive home here is that it can't get worse. No, it could uh, be Gastonia. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it could I, get I worse. Really it just probably there's won't. No, there's no way they can be as bad as they were last year. So you know what? Let's let's keep it positive. Um, now, I think that as far I don't think the pitching. There's some good arms here, and I think they're an improved group. Now, given where they were, I don't know if that's a, a massive compliment. Of course, I think the back end of their bullpen is going to be pretty good. I'm concerned about middle relief, yeah. uh, but I, but Scott but uh, Scott Schumann and Mark Wachinski. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, I mean, Wachinski is a guy who, who pitched in the MLB uh, for for a good while. Was in AAA last year. Not not great numbers in Reno, uh, but that's a tough pitch to a tough place to pitch for pretty much anyone. Uh, so. I think that uh, that'll be something to watch. One guy that I, I'm really intrigued by is Josh Graham. Yeah. Uh, I think that uh, Josh Graham is a guy that I, I assume you will pro- that uh, as far as far as Josh Graham is concerned, I, I think at least he's a guy that you could also see get some high leverage innings. In uh, Double A last year, you would think that the Braves probably let him go because he's because uh, he's 28 and he's on yeah. the older side. Uh, and as well as I'm not sure if there were injuries involved there. He only threw 19 innings last year, but in those 19 innings, he was very good. A 2.33 ERA, only walked six uh, in those in those 19 innings as well. So that's an impressive mark. Uh, and of course, Donald Goodson in that bullpen. He throws really hard. Doesn't really know where it's going all the uh, much of the time, but he throws really hard. So uh, he kind of is what he is at this point. Uh, you're you're kind of just hoping that you're going to get a good day from him when he comes into the game. Uh, I mean, just way too many walks for him last year, uh, last year as well. And honestly, he didn't with a guy who threw as hard as he did. He didn't strike out as many guys as I, in, in my view, he should striking out 55 and 53 innings uh, for a guy who's, who's into the upper 90s. I, I think that I think that's got to be higher, and, and of course, walking forty-two in those innings, uh, it's it's not just him. It's not just him. Trust me. But they need mm. they, they need more from their starting rotation, and I don't know if they addressed it. Uh, I know uh, Cameron Gone was their opening day starter uh, yesterday, and he he threw pretty well. He was also he was uh, into into like the mid nineties yesterday. I believe it was around ninety-three, ninety-four. Uh, so he and of course. They got off to their starting against uh, Gastonia, so that's a nice start uh, for them. Uh, but it, you know, he threw well. Uh, Scott Schumann picking up the save, uh, and uh, Ruchinski also threw a, a one-two-three inning as well. I, I think that it's an improved pitching staff, but I, I think there's too many questions in the starting rotation for me to qualify it as a good one. I think the back end of the bullpen is good. But I, I think the middle relief uh, is rough, and I question as what seems to be the case every year with the Barnstormers. They they start the year with some decent uh, arms, 
they lose those guys and they're not able to replace them. Yeah. Um, that's going to be something that's going to have to change for them, especially if they, st- if they lose some of their better arms, they just, they just haven't, were not able to replace, uh, some of those arms. Ugh, there was one guy that I'm thinking in particular who st- like started, he was like their opening day starter, Heath Thalmeyer. That's yeah, who it was. That's it. And so, so and he, Heath Thalmeyer, like he threw like one really good outing for them in the starting rotation. Uh, and then he left and it kind of seemed like the barn was like, Oh crap. Like guys, you, you kind of have to expect to lose him. And they just weren't yeah. able to replace those guys. And they were looking to the college ranks and it was just a disaster pitching wise. So that's the key for them. I think they're fine. They're, they're probably below average on paper pitching wise at the moment, but I just worry about them being able to replace them. Yeah. The only two, or two or three names I would add. Wesley Rodriguez is an interesting guy to me. I don't know why. I like his ERA. I the whip at one five seven, not great, not laying the world on fire. But I mean, again, forty six strikeouts in about fifty innings isn't terrible. Twenty six walks in about fifty innings, not exactly ideal, but I mean, you can make do. Uh, the overall. Not terrible. I think he's a pretty solid pitcher. I think he could be interesting at least. Uh, Niall Ball, I think, is a guy that could take another step. Uh, what was pretty much a wasteland of a pitching lineup. He was pretty okay. I mean, a 463, I mean, that's not that far off from the fifth place leader on the ERA list. So in 90 innings, he does that. Isn't terrible. I mean, he's someone of note. And that's that. I mean, there really isn't much here. I, I'll admit that. But yeah, those two guys are names that I don't think came up that I, I would like to throw out there. I think they are at least something of interest, but I do agree. There's still not exactly a dynamo pitching st- uh, staff, but overall, uh, they got to be better. They, there's no way they could possibly sink to the, the first-year Gastonia level, I don't think, at least. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that they'll be that bad. Uh, but I, at least to start the year, I think they could be okay. But you know, they, they need a bounce back. They need bounce backs for a lot of guys. Yeah, sure. yeah, definitely agree. We move on to York, the York Revolution, also in the North uh, Division. Mark Mason returns, eighth year as the skipper, uh, five fifty and five thirty five is his record. They three hundred four oh five and three. 26 would be the dimensions of that ballpark. Uh, their batting side is going to be led by Carlos Castro, Paul Mondesi, <clears throat> Lennon Rodriguez, Nelly Rodriguez, Josue Herrera, Elmer Reyes, Carlos Rivio, Carlos Franco, Joey Scove, Troy Stokes Jr., Yafi Perez, Zach Rakuzin, Melky Mesa. That is how they line up on the batting side. I will say when I threw this lineup out here, uh, we didn't really have an official opening day roster yet. It may have come out between the time that this was made, we recorded, and it goes up. Obviously, we'll know tonight they play for their first game, so we'll know what their official roster looks like. But this is what I have to go off of for right now. So we had to fill in from transaction pages. So that's something that I should throw as a caveat on the York side of things. Overall, though, what does this lineup say to you, Will? Well, it's a strong lineup. Uh, It's a strong lineup, and they always are. I mean, bringing back uh, Carlos Castro and Nelly Rodriguez, I mean, right from the top, uh, those are, and even Carlos Franco as well. I mean, that is a an elite one, two, three combo. I'm leaving Melky Mesa out of that for now because I believe he's placed on the IL okay. to start the year, uh, and that's a, it's such a shame because that's mm. you know Melky Mesa is so good. 
Uh, it, it just seems like he, he kind of seems to have an injury a year. But uh, when he is in there and when he does get back, he's going to be really good. Uh, but, I mean, the, this lineup uh, is going to be really good, I would think. Uh, especially, I, I think that there's also the, de- the decent guys in there. Like Tro- I think Troy Stokes Jr. adds a different element to them as well. Yep, former uh, major leaguer too. Former major leaguer, certainly. I, I think he can also run a little bit. He can run quite a bit. And speaking of guys... Uh, who can who can run? Uh, Zach Rakusen, a guy who I've been really high on. Guy stole 25 bases last year uh, in the Frontier League. So, uh, and he, he's a good bat. I don't know if he's going to be. Uh, he, I think he's a guy you can plug into to the bottom of your lineup. He's going to give. He's going to give you good at bats. He's going to get on. He's going to run. Uh, I think that's going to be. Uh, that's that's a really good addition as well. And then even Jeffrey Perez, uh, yeah. especially in Mexico last year. Uh, he had terrific numbers in a short time span in just 13 games. So that's going to be something to watch. Uh, I think that, but overall, as every York lineup seems to be, very, very strong lineup. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I really want to hit on Perez and Rakuzin too. I've been a big Rakuzin guy for a while. Morristown, New Jersey native in Rakuzin as well. So I, I really want to see him take off this year in York. I think he can. I think he has all the tools to really put it together. He's kind of quick. He doesn't really strike out a lot. Granted, you know, you'd like to see maybe a little bit more drawing of walks, but hey, you know, I can live without that. It's not that big of a deal. He's quick. He gets on base. He's overall a pretty solid player there. Perez, same boat. Did go to Mexico. Not too much to go off of. A lot of former major league talent also in this lineup. And I just, I got to throw out that I see Nelly Rodriguez and Carlos Castro, should they stay the full year, being possible award candidates as well. Those are two guys I'm going to definitely watch out for on that front. Not much else to add. It's a really strong lineup. And on the pitching side, um, I think their starting rotation is improved uh, from, I think it's a bet. It's a group. It's a a lot, a group of a lot of returners uh, in a way. I I bring Austin nicely back as big Jim Fuller in the back end of the bullpen. Um, even even guys like Alberto Rodriguez and uh, Israel Cruz in the bullpen as well. Although even, although I will mention, I think the the transaction page said Israel Cruz retired. Okay. So uh, so make it that what you will. Yeah, I saw. See, at first I saw that, but then I saw he was signed somewhere else. So I have no idea what it goes with. This is why it'd be really helpful if York could put out a, a roster. Right. Yeah, and so. I think that I think uh, at least the top of their starting rotation uh, is good. I I don't I just don't know who's going to be the who's going to be uh, at at that back end. I mean, we're talking about. Uh, I mean, it, I, I would say probably like uh, even if you throw like Nick Tra- Tra- Travieso. Yeah, Travieso. I believe we'll it's Travieso. Yeah, Travieso. Uh, he, yeah. he had a rough year with with the Monarchs last year in the American Association. Uh, so a, a bounce back from him. Uh, would be really nice. Uh, Matt Meyer is interesting as well because he, yeah, he played he, for St. Paul and I will say with Meyer. Yeah, with yeah. Meyer, I will say because I also do need to run through the pitching staff once we're done with this. With him, there was a handful of Matt Myers, and he was the only one I thought was the guy that was listed on the transaction page. So that's why he's got that little asterisk next to his name. I think that's the right Matt Meyer. I could be wrong. But none of the other ones seem to make sense to sign. So I think it's him. But yeah, a 37-year-old that hasn't pitched in eight years is an interesting call. 
if that's him, yeah. but I guess that's the world of indie ball. But yeah, I, I, I just I think this pitching staff lacks depth overall. Um, I think that's that's the concerning part about to me. Uh, I think they're I think again the top of the rotation with Austin Nicely uh, is strong, and Alex Sanabia, of course, uh, a guy who had a really good year last year uh, and would have been uh, in contention for some awards if he pitched a little bit more uh, before he ended up getting picked up by the Mets. Uh, could that happen to him again? I don't know. He's 33 years old at this point. Uh, but I, I think I like the top of the rotation. I don't know about the back end. Uh, and I think the bullpen, uh, if if Israel Cruz is indeed out, it's kind of just a two-headed monster in the back end of Alberto Rodriguez uh, and Jim Fuller, and then maybe some guys who throw hard. But uh, but yeah, I, I think it's kind of. I think we're talking probably a, a similar a similar York team as we've seen in the past. I'd agree with that. Uh, just for note, uh, the pitching staff looks like this. Robinson Para, uh, Johnson Aries, I believe that's how that would be pronounced, or Joseph Aries, uh, Nick Traveso, Matt Meyer, Adrian Alacar, Alacon, Alacon. Uh, either way, he's from William. Al- Alacon, I guess. Could be. Either way, he pitched for William Patterson, which I didn't expect to see Will Pat on there, but I mean, it, it's an interesting call to have a Will Pat pitcher there. Uh, Austin Nicely, Jim Fuller, uh, Mirandi Gonzalez, Jorge Martinez, Alex Sanavia, Alberto Rodriguez, and Israel Cruz. Uh, I agree with everything you said, Will. There really is like four or five pitchers on here that are of note, and everybody else it's kind of like, we don't know what we're getting. They're kind of older, and we're hoping for the best. Because it, it really does seem like with this pitching staff, it's either you're above 34 or you're under 25. There's no in-between Yeah, here. yeah, 100%. I totally agree with that. <laughs> it's, uh, because, it does seem like that. Yeah, like because they even got like a 23-year-old, a couple 24-year-olds, then 37, 34, 36, 33, 33. 34 like it's just it's an interesting call so uh, who knows when it comes to the york uh, revolution we move to the southern maryland blue crabs now noted home of pinched a blue crab uh noted north division team now stan Clyburn returns for his fourth year although not fourth consecutive year uh as the manager of the blue crabs 191 and 209 is his lifetime record with the crabs their ballpark has dimensions of 310 400 and 325 situation looks like this as per their opening day uh, roster ryan hogg uh, austin ree michael baca ian yetzko scotty bircham alex crosby jared walker raul shaw matt hibbert connor line Zach Collier, Jack Sunberg, Braxton Lee, David Harris, and Ruby Silva line up for the Blue Crabs on offense. Overall, I think this is actually a pretty decent little uh, lineup. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I think that uh, their guy, their team who, who brought back um, a lot of bats from, from a year ago, um, uh, even Austin right behind the plate, former Red Sox arm hand, so shout out to him. Um as well, like I, I think overall they bring back a lot of their key guys from a year ago. Uh, Alex Crosby, yeah. uh, a really bit, a nice bat in the in the in the middle of the lineup. Uh, David Harris, New, New Jersey Jackal legend. Yeah. Of course, how do we forget about Ruby Silva? Ruby yeah. Silva had a, a terrific, terrific year last year. I don't know if he. I would be surprised if he hit three twenty three again. Uh, but I think he is, um, I think he is a good, uh, a really good addition there. Even a guy like Zach Collier, 
I mean, Zach Collier had a um, had a really strong year last year. I I don't know if the track record backs up that he's going to do. He's going to put up the insane numbers that he did last year. I mean, three twenty four with fourteen uh, with fourteen bombs and an OPS over a thousand. Not something we've seen a lot from him in his career. So. Uh, I don't know if we'll get that from him again, but I just think I think there's a lot of depth in this lineup. There's not a lot of holes. Uh, even guys that you could see, like Jared Walker, uh, for example, is a guy, a guy yeah. who's another solid bat. Yeah, I think there's a lot Walker. of guys. Yeah, Jared Walker, he, he, he's a nice bat, maybe more towards that five, six, seven range in the lineup uh, that could be solid. I just think there's not an easy out in this lineup. Uh, in, even while there may not be a a wow, a, a, a popping superstar. There's just, it's a really solid one through nine order. Uh, and uh, it's going to be a, a group that I think is going to be really exciting. Yeah, I'd agree with that an awful lot. Ian Yetzko's a guy that I thought was one of the very few really standout players from that Houston Apollos team last year in the American Association. And he did really, really well and really not easy circumstances at all. So I'm very happy to see he caught on somewhere. I think he's really kind of poised to have a good year. Jared Walker, I'm very, very big on. He was very good for Sioux City before he got picked up by the Rangers. Obviously, it didn't work out great for him in high A, but even still, I, I am big on him. I think he is solid. And Ruby Silva, even if he does regress, I still say he's good for 275, 280. I think he's still a very good batter. He's Agreed. a guy I've been high on for, for a couple of years now. So I, I like him a lot. And there's just like a lot of interesting players. Even like a Raul Shaw is an interesting guy. He did well in the Pioneer League. I believe he played in the All-American Baseball Classic during the pandemic year and did okay there. Plus, he's also big into like investing. He has, a, I believe, an Ivy degree as well. So he's an interesting guy in that sense, too. I mean, you, you love that. You're going you're gonna to have a team that, that's, a, that's a smart group. But yeah, uh, overall, really, really high in the lineup, uh, I think. I think that's going to be uh, an interesting group. Now for the pitching, again, I think this is also a good group. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, one guy in particular that I, I really think is going to have a big bounce back this year in the starting rotation is Mitch Lamson. Because uh, Mitch Lamson uh, last year, with or, or excuse me, in 2020 with Winnipeg, uh, not last year, uh, he's a guy that he's one of the best pitchers that in the American Association that the American Association has seen in recent years. Uh, he struggled in 2020 with Winnipeg. Uh, I, I'm kind of willing to throw those numbers out of the out the window just because of the circumstances of the pandemic. And overall, I think he's a guy that is going to be a strong arm at the beginning of this rotation. And of course, I, I, how did I not mention Daryl Thompson first? I mean, Daryl yeah. Thompson. I'm never doubting him ever. Um, yeah. he's a stud. I think that uh, he's going to do what he does, uh, and he's going to win pitcher of the year again, isn't he? He'll be in there. Uh, he'll he'll be certainly in that mix. And even a guy like Eddie Butler, uh, a guy who struggled uh, in AAA, uh, he's we've seen him pitch with the Chicago Dogs in 2020. Um, I think he's a guy that could be pretty good in, in this rotation as well. Uh, I, I think just overall. I, this is a, a really strong, uh, I think it's a strong rotation. Maybe some questions at the back end again, kind of like everybody. Uh, but, and then when we look at this bullpen, uh, the bullpen was unbelievably good last year and they kind of just brought back the same guys, the guys who, uh, who have been solid in the past, like Pedro, uh, Etcher, uh, Etcher well, 
Edge of Medea. Yeah, so nice. we'll go with that. Uh, I mean, Dalton Geeky is a great arm. Endress Bersinho coming off of winning a reliever of the year last year. He's terrific. Uh, Matt Latos needs no introduction uh, in the closer role. I, I just think overall, uh, even guys like I think a guy like Nick Wells can step up too in that in the in the back end of that bullpen. Uh, I think overall, this this Blue Crabs team, in my at least in my view, uh, is the clear. I, I think them and the Ducks, who we'll get into next, I think they're the clear one two in this division. Um, at least I think as far as a, a well-rounded team, uh, the Blue Crabs, of course, making the play postseason a year ago. I think they're in good shape to do it once again, at least with this team on paper. I'd agree with that. Just quickly running through that pitching staff. It's Eddie Butler, Dario Polanco, Alex Merithu, uh Daryl Thompson, Patrick Baker, Pedro Echemaridia. Uh, Dennison Hall, Dalton Geeky, Andrus Brasino, Bradley Roney, Matt Latos, Nick Wells, and Mitch Lampson. I agree with everything you said there, Will. I think this is a pretty solid team overall. Pitching, as far as starting pitching goes, obviously Daryl Thompson's going to be your your rock. Eddie Butler's a nice, solid uh, next man up. Uh, obviously, you have a couple other guys here. Mick Wells may be filling that role. Mitch Lampson probably will. So you have three pretty well-defined, and I think pretty good starters there. The back end is going to be a, a problem no matter where you go in Indy Ball, so it's whatever there. But yeah, I agree. The bullpen really looks good between Bersinho, Geeky, Etchmandia, Latos. I mean, that's a you don't even really need great starting pitching at that point. Even Dario Polanco, I think, is going to be due for a bit of a bounce back, too. Any uh, for you see Gastoni under pitching, you kind of give him a break for that a little bit. So, I mean, I, I do think there is a really, really deep bullpen here that's going to get some work. And as long as you can just find a couple of decent starters that can eke their way through five innings, you'll be fine. So I do very much agree and like the uh, the Blue Crabs, although they they do give a lot of false hope, I will say. that Every year they look good on paper, and then it's only like a handful of times it pans out, so we'll see on them. Uh, going to Long Island now, uh, North Division team again, Wally Backman, third year at the helm, 154 and 106 is that lifetime record. The overall uh, ballpark dimensions would be 325, 400, 325, so pretty standard ballpark, nothing too crazy there. Full roster looks like this, Joe DiCarlo, Mitch Calandra, Vladimir Frias, uh, Delbinson Romero, or Sam Travis, uh, Devin Mario, Marrero. Marrero. Oh, fine. Oh, pardon he's a me. Red Sox. That doesn't help me. <laughs> Michael Wylanski, LJ Mazzilli, Johnny Turbo, which is great. And also, fun fact, his baseball reference page is up to date. Now, it will come up if you look up Johnny Turbo. Uh, Dustin Woodcock, Lou Ford, the Ageless Wonder, and Daniel Fields make up the hitting side of things. The pitching side, Joe Iorio, Scott Harkin, Brady Feigl, Akil Morris, Sandy Bias, Cody Beckman, Frank Montescello. Uh, Anderson De, Le- uh, De Leon, Brett Kennedy, Hunter Cadell, Tyler Webb, Bennett Parry, Alex Cass, Dylan Pfeiffer, and Chad Hawken. That is the Ducks lineup as of opening day. Make of that what you will. They are always good. That's pretty much my whole analysis. I could go through individual teams here and go like, oh, our individual players and go, Mazzilli's going to do good again. And Johnny Turbo, just off of his name, is given like an extra 40 batting points. And Dustin Woodcock looked good in Gateway, so I think he could do well here. And Lou Ford's good to bat 300 because he's just Lou Ford, and that's what he does. But let's be real. 
somehow they always find their way into the postseason and normally into a championship game. Yeah, their personnel, honestly, is that it gets to a point where they're so consistent and so remarkably consistent that it doesn't even really matter. Uh, I, I think, again, I think the lineup's strong. I think, I think the pitching staff is the best in the league, uh, personally, is what I think. I think Harkin was uh, – I, I think he is one of their better arms. And Iorio, of course, bringing back Bennett Perry, a guy who was one of the Atlantic League's best pitchers um, uh, back in 2019 and 2018, 2019 – that's big uh, for this team. I think their bullpen's terrific. Uh, Tyler Webb, in particular, is a is a big name that uh, that I mean is a name that I think is really interesting. Uh, he, he did have a rough year last year, however, he's a big name. I think he can be. I, I think he can bounce back. Uh, even guys like uh, like Akil Morris, uh, who have been solid in any ball, uh, getting also he also got picked up by the Giants last year. I think there's a lot of options for them as far as starting as far as starting pitchers um, that I think that they could go to. Uh, I think their pitching is among the best in the league. I really do, and I think their lineup in particular. We know most of these guys, yeah. but a couple guys you might not know: two Red Sox legends, Sam Travis and Devin Marrero. Uh, both guys, uh, especially Sam Travis, is a guy that'll hit for power. Um, he had a solid year in AAA last year in Tacoma. A little bit on the older side, I think he can be. De- Devin Marrero is a guy that uh, that at least in the upper minor leagues, hadn't put up numbers, but to back up his glove and back up his uh, first-round billing with the Boston Red Sox. Uh, however, uh, he, he's a good glove. He at least provides that. Uh, so I think he's a strong addition. And Sam Travis, I think, is going to be a really good a really good uh, addition to this lineup. I don't know if he'll be here that long, uh, but, uh, but at least on paper, this is a really strong team, as they always seem to be. Agreed on that front. That rotation is really what gets me. I mean, Iorio, Harkin, Morris... Perry and then Kennedy. That's a yeah, have fun. That that that's a fun little rotation they have there. Uh, it kind of goes against the grain of what we've been saying, which is you know in indie ball you're not going to have five good starters. It just doesn't happen. It's too hard to find. And then they go out and they well they do that. Even though I'm sure a couple will get picked up, but even still you lose two, you still have three great ones. So hey, uh, on that note, we switch to the South Division now and starts with the High Point Rockers. Jamie Keefe he returns for his third year at the helm. Uh, 138 and 121 is his record and the skipper of the team. Their ballpark dimensions, 336, 363, 400, 366, 339. Uh, so, you know, not a terrible ballpark to play in as a hitter. Uh, Mike Gelino, uh, Chris Proctor, Giovanni Alfonso, Michael Russell, Logan Morrison, Tyler Leidendorf, Jerry Down, Zach Weil, uh, Johnny Field, Jared Mitchell, Banaklinski, Miles Williams, Quincy Lattimore, Jay Gonzalez, Liam Scarfanello uh, makes up the batting side of things. On the pitching side of things, Austin Glorious, Ryan Dull, Joe Johnson, Jordan or Jonathan Crawford, my mistake, Justin Nicolino, Cooper Kassad, Jason Mantis, <clears throat> Manzuda, I believe is how it is. I believe that's Jason Manzuda, uh, Jason Bradford, Neil Yuskali, uh, Bryce Hensley, Brady Lyle. Uh, Johnny Barbado, uh, who I always mispronounce his name, but I think I got it right there. Tanner Duncan and Adam Choplick. So I think High Point's lineup in particular, at least as it stands now, is 
at least in the South Division, is a really strong group. It, it always seems like high point. They return their best players, and then they pick off a couple other teams' best best hitters. Yeah. Right? And so that it always seems to be that's what they kind of run with. Uh, and that's exactly what they did this year, because they did that with Miles Williams. They did that with Ben Eklinski, uh, taking him from Lexington. Um, and so uh, I think that, Really, I think the lineup, and as long as Logan Morrison is here, he is going to absolutely smash. Oh, uh, as I mean, his number—he put up video game numbers uh, before he got picked up uh, by the by the Reds organization. Played in AAA there, uh, and of course, we're not even talking about Michael Russell, who won the batting title and hit 360 last year. Is yep. he going to do that again? I don't think so. But uh, I, I think he's uh, he, he's a nice option in that infield as well, and. When they brought in Jerry Downs last year, Jerry Downs, uh, I mean, talk about a guy with power, hit 22 home runs last year, yeah. hit 300, an OPS of 972, uh, and even a guy like Tyler, La- Tyler Ladendorf uh, being brought back in. And not even Quincy Lattimore, who always seems to just pop in at random points as well uh, for a high point. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, it's, again, the lineup, is, they're always going to hit. I think they're going to do it again this year. It just depends on who they lose. Uh, so we'll have to see about that. But in particular, watching uh, a 3-4 in the lineup of Logan Morrison and Jerry Downs, that is it. and even Ben Eklinski, you could throw in there too. I mean, it is a deep lineup. It is a team that's going to hit a lot of home runs, uh, a team that has massive power. Uh, and uh, again, a team, I can't believe we didn't get to see them in the playoffs last year, uh, yeah. but a, a good team. And on the pitching side, personally – I'm in the camp of I don't really know. Yeah. Uh, there's there's just a lot of guys who are they're big names, uh, but at the same time the numbers weren't good for them uh, in this past year. Uh, Ryan Dull's a nice name. He pitched for the Oakland A's uh, for a little bit. Uh, he's a guy that I think can really have a good year this year because um, he pitched a little bit in high point. The strikeouts were high, the the walks were low, and the ERA was high. That to me, singles we're gonna get so we're gonna get a bounce back yeah. for Ryan Dole. But other guys like, for example, I think Cooper Cassad in the starting rotation. I, I I'm interested to see how Menz, Menzetta does, uh, who pitched mostly in Cleburne last year. Uh, I'm interested to see how he will do. Johnny Barbado as well uh, is, a, is a nice arm. And Adam Choplick uh, is a guy who pitched for the Blue Crabs. He has great stuff. He has lights out stuff from the left side. Pitched very well in Mexico last year. I can't believe he's not back there, uh, but I'm sure High Point will take it. Um, so I, I, although I'm, I'm a little bit worried about, uh, I think the starting rotation is, there. like I said, there's a lot of guys who – I just don't really know what I'm getting yet. I think Justin Nicolino, he's a big name, pitched for the Marlins, just really struggled in Taiwan last year, mm-hmm. uh, as well as Jonathan Crawford struggled uh, with with the Chicago Dogs as well. So it's an interesting group pitching-wise, but you know what? They're going to be among the league's better, better teams. They always seem to be. Absolutely. The only thing I would add on the batting side of things is Miles Williams, another guy. He had 17 home runs, so he's a guy of note, too. He could be a factor. And Jake Gonzalez was a 300 hitter, too. So in 300 hitter in 84 games between Winnipeg and High Point, he seems like a pretty solid batter as well. So batting wise, no doubt about it, they are a top team in this league, at least on paper. As far as pitching goes, there is a lot of bounce back work that needs to be done. I agree with you there. The rotation, it, it looks like it's going to be fine. I assume it'll be Glorious, Kassad, Nicolino, uh, Manzuda, and either Hensley or Barbado 
would be my guess. Maybe they run six. That's not unheard of, but is not common either. So it could be one of those types of deals. Uh, maybe it's an every other type situation, whatever it may wind up being there. It could be interesting. Adam Choplick's a guy I do like, and if I recall correctly, he's very tall as well, which may be part of the reason he's very tall. Yeah, he like six be, foot eight, I think. Shit, he's basically your height. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, overall, it is a. Uh, it is a solid team, I will say. They are a team of note in the South Division, but there are a lot of teams of note in the South Division, and that includes the Charleston Dirty Birds, formerly known as West Virginia Power. Uh, they make up the South Division with first-year manager Billy Horn at the helm. Uh, they play in the Appalachian Power Park, which is 330-400-320 on the dimensions. Uh, the actual... Roster looks like this, Tyler Blum, uh, Jovan Gonzalez, Scott Kelly, Connor Justice, Alberto Cayaspa, Angel uh, Garst, uh, James Smybe, or Smybert, Zach Sullivan, Juan Perez, Nick Longai, uh, Afari Samor, uh, Angle Beltre, Mike Hart, Mike Hart, not the same Mike Hart from Char- from uh, the Sioux Falls Canaries, I don't believe. There is no stats there and list on the roster. It says highest levels NCAA, so I think it's a different Mike Hart. Um, uh, Stefan Chambly is the first of the pitchers, continuing with Max Tannenbaum, Kit Sheets, uh, Joe Testa, Ryan Lawler, Jose Mesa Jr., Walker Weichel, Kevin Hegert, or Hergert, Mitchell Osnowitz, Tyler Wilson, Derek Adams, Justin Miller, Dom DeMasi, Jordan Steffens. That is their roster. That's how they look. Pitching-wise, it's an interesting team. There's some definitely some good guys here, but there are the bats are what's more interesting to me. I think there are some very interesting bats here. And if Scott Helly- Kelly hits 300 again this year, I don't really know I what I'm going to so- do. I was about to ask that, like literally before my plan was when you were done and you threw it to me, I was like, all right, Nick, what will you promise if Scott Kelly to, to the people, if Scott Kelly hits 300 again? Well, I already promised to recant my comments about the Chick-fil-A and their bland, flavorless chicken if Michael Conforto signs with Long Island, which that's exactly what Long Island <laughs> needs. They need Michael Conforto to really put him over the top, you know, so... I really don't know what I'm going to do if Scott Kelly manages to hit 300 again because, quite frankly, we all thought his career was dead and he should just take an office job with the Patriots. But here he is hitting 300 again at 30. Yeah, how about that? But uh, but as far as as far as the lineup, I mean, they're really going to be led uh, by, by Alberto Callasto, the 39-year-old. Uh, he is, I mean, he had an awesome year last year when, uh, when he got... Uh, when he got to West Virginia, not a guy who's going to hit for a ton of power per se, but he's going to get. I mean, he got he got a base in a 470 clip last year. That's going to be tough to. Uh, that's going to be tough to uh, to bring up. But I, I think I, I think there's also I, I think overall personally, I think the lineup's a little a little bit uh, uh, on the lower tier in the Atlantic League. Uh, I have some other interesting guys. Juan Perez is a guy I really like uh, mm-hmm. from Mexico. Uh, he's a guy who hit 292 there. Not again, not going to hit for a ton of power. I don't think you're going to see a ton of power on this team at all. Uh, however, I, I think they're going to they're going to hit for contact. I just I don't know if um if that's going to be the the best game for them to play. And you know some other names like how about Zach Sullivan, former former York Revolution, uh, yeah. who hit a big big playoff home run uh, in in their series against the Sugarland Skeeters as well. Uh, so personally. 
uh, I think the lineup isn't great. Uh, that's what concerns me about them a little bit. But they're certainly they're they're okay. But I, I don't know as comparing to some of these other lineups, these other teams are trying out. I don't think there's enough power there. Uh, I think they're probably going to be towards the bottom of the league in that aspect. However, uh, pitching wise. In their starting rotation, I honestly really like it. And it starts with Tyler Wilson because Tyler Wilson, a guy who we've seen in the MLB with the Baltimore Orioles, he spent the last few years in Korea uh, with the LG Twins. Uh, he's And the numbers there in a very offensive-driven league, uh, it wasn't great last year, a 442 ERA, but he has been like a top-of-the-line starter there. You have to be very good to be a foreign player in Korea because uh, you do get paid quite a bit. Uh, so he at the top of the rotation, I think is 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 really good. Dom DeMassey, it's going to be interesting as well. Uh, another guy from High Point in 2019 had put up great numbers. I think he's a good option uh, in this rotation as well. Uh, I think now in the back end of the rotation, I'm not as I'm not as high. If you're going to rely on Joe Testa to start games again, I don't know. He's 36. He got hit around a little bit last year. I question kind of if the stuff is still there, but um, he's kind of a crafty lefty, uh, so we'll have to see there. Um, uh, A guy that interests me, I think, in the bullpen as well, Walter Weichel, uh, pitched in Frisco, which is not an easy easy place to pitch. 363 ERA last year in 72 innings. Uh, He's 28, which is probably why he he ended up being let go. Uh, But personally, I, I think when you look at teams like High Point and Lexington, I think Charleston's solid, but I think they're probably a step below those those two teams. Yeah, I I, I'd say they're the fourth best team in the division. Which one thing I will say, at least going off of last night's usage, Tyler Wilson was used as their closer, not as a starter. See, that's that's the interesting thing to me because uh, you know is that a build up thing? Like I don't know why he would want to go from from starting to to closing, relieving when he has yeah. proved he he can start. So I don't yeah, know. I mean like he's thirty two, so maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's a Matt or like a Matt Latos type of thing. But uh, maybe yeah, I'd agree with that. I think the the rotation could be interesting, but overall this team is just not not that good compared to the rest of the division. The only team that they may be better than is the team we're about to talk now. And quite frankly, I don't even think that's as much of a slam dunk, which would be the Gastonia Honey Hunters, again returning to the South Division for their second year. 54 and 66. Goose Gazzo is their manager once more. Um, and <clears throat> their ballpark has the friendly dimensions of 315, 361, 400, 367, 325. So they're going to look like this. Armando Escobar, Alex Holderbach, Eric Jones, Stuart Levy, four catchers. That's an interesting call. Uh, Connor Owings, Jack Reimheimer, Luis Roman, uh, Joseph Rosa, Johnny Davis, Reese Hampton, Zach Garrett, Cesar Trejo, Josh Skoll. On the batting side, pitching side, John Anderson, Jesus Baligar, uh, Spencer Bivens, Sam Bordner, Sam Burton, Honest Fanfare, Michael Gunn, Riley Hovis, Jerry Keel, Deck McGavin, AJ Merkel, uh, Ronald Pena, Jimmy Scherfe, Quentin Torres Costa, and Marcus Walden make up this pitching team and this overall team. Overall, it seems like a much better roster from last year, I gotta say. It seems improved. Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if they're on the level of say a, a Lexington or a or a High Point 
or one of those teams, I don't think they're there. However, I think it is an improved team uh, overall, and uh, and we can project the offense to do whatever. The reality is, is they play in uh, with essentially a pan box. Like they yeah. the balls fly there. Uh, I mean, Jake Skull proved that last year when he hit twenty three home runs. I mean, uh, Josh Sala as well, uh, who's obviously with the Rangers organization now, uh, but. You know, some guys that uh, I think the four catchers is interesting. You're right. Uh, at least on paper, I, Johnny Davis is a is um, is a nice addition as well. And around indie ball was good in, uh, in not a lot of games in Mexico in just 13 games. Uh, but so I think he'll be interesting as well. I think another guy who was, I'm, I'm intrigued by, Joseph Rosa. He showed a little bit of pop, uh, nine home runs, a 770 OPS uh, as well. Uh, so I think that um, it, it's a decent, it's a decent lineup that's always going to outplay kind of what they what they usually are. I think Cesar Trejo and Jake Skull, Jake Skull is good, probably the best hitter in this lineup. Yeah. Uh, but and uh, but on the pitching end of things, I definitely think they're better. John Anderson, uh, a guy who Barnstormer fans certainly know, uh, he struggled in Mexico last year, but I think he is a top flight Atlantic League arm. I'm excited for him. How about Sam Bordner in the back end of that bullpen? He had great numbers last year uh, in high A, a 135 ERA and 30 strikeouts in 20 innings. That's going to be that's going to be tough as well. And how about Marcus Walden, Red Sox legend? We love Marcus Walden. Anyway, uh, he's a guy who's more of a. Uh, I would think he probably starts. Uh, he's done. He's done a little bit of both, uh, but I think you know, in the context of indie ball, he'll probably yeah, start. Yeah, I get him. Uh, that. He, but he's more of a sinker guy, so I think he's perfectly built for this ballpark. He gets ground balls, uh, and so I think he's he's pretty good. So I, I think it's overall. I think it's a it's an improved team pitching wise, uh, but I don't think they're on the same level. I don't think they're on the that same tier uh, as the team as Lexington and Iowa. I'd agree with that. Uh, Jimmy Scherf, he's another guy I'm interested in. He did well last year, AAA Major League. Granted, only 23 innings, but still, it's interesting. McGuire, same thing. Hovis, I think, could be probably pretty okay with them. I think overall, it's just like a better version of last year's team, which is really what you expect to see. It's progress in the right direction. If they could put together a near 500 record, I think that's a good year for them. I think it's a building year for them. They clearly like to steal bases because last night they stole like four or five bases, which is pretty impressive in a nine-inning game. But it's still, I, I think it's an overall decent team. It's a much better team, and we'll see where it goes. But overall, I think they are a more complete team. But you're right, when they don't compare it to the next team we have, even probably the, the last two teams that we have here to cover, which is the Lexington Legends of the South Division. P.J. Phelps returns second year, 60-60 record. Um, the confines of Wild Health Field look like this, so I won't wind up repeating them because we have the Wild Health Genomes up next. They play in the same ballpark. Uh, 320-401-318 on that front there. Uh, Lineup looks like this. Jose Brinsenio, Pete Jorgen, Dom Bethancourt, Cesar Cuevas, uh, uh, Montreal Marshall, Blake Swihart, Trey Williams, Philip Irvin, Courtney Hawkins, Book Powell, Tillman Pugue, Nate Thompson. On the pitching side, Mason Cole, J.J. Hoover, Thomas Dormady, Daniel Cursino, Jeff Thompson. That rounds up your rotation. Your bullpen looks like this. Austin Adams, Eli Garcia, Daniel Gibson, Yarmil. Hildaro or Hiraldo? Hiraldo? Hiraldo. Hiraldo, okay. Like the, uh, like Hiraldo. Uh, Jeff Johnson, 
Winston Lavender, uh, Jalen Miller, Henry Owens, Brett Schneider rounds out the rotate or rounds out the bullpen. Overall, I don't really see much of a weak spot in this team. There's a couple of guys, mainly the two guys from the Yins League, that I don't know too much about. Particularly, Troy Williams didn't look like that big of a necessity to have on this roster but hey uh they're they're still there but you got a lot of former major league talent you got a lot of atlantic league talent between hawkins and powell and puke and and just really everything here and i mean from a pitching perspective that's a very good rotation hoover and dormity alone i think are of note and of leading the pack here mason cole will be interesting to see how he does as a starter but uh, austin adams is certainly a good bullpen guy uh johnson i think is good for a bounce back Jalen miller was very good in sussex county henry owens struggled a little bit but he found his way overall walks need to go down though he cannot have 98 walks in 92 innings that's not going to work but brett schneider looks decent too from his little bit of time overall but i this is would you say it's safe to call them the front runners in the South? Probably. I, I would say as of right now, as the rosters currently stand, which of course could change, but I would say, yeah. This is just... And, uh, I mean, overall, though, I mean, the lineup is great. The, the lineup was awesome last year. Uh, they lost Beniklinski, which is uh, which is a little bit difficult, uh, which could be difficult to swallow, but you know what? They said, all right, we lost Beniklinski. Let's just bring in Boog Powell. Uh, so, Boog uh, Powell's a great addition. Courtney Hawkins. What what else can I say about Courtney Hawkins? Yeah. He is incredible. He he's the power is just off the charts. I think Philip Irvin is due for a breakout as well. Uh, he's a guy that the numbers don't look good in AAA last year, but he's a guy that uh, has a good track record in AAA and the MLB. So, and Blake Swihart, another Red Sox legend. Uh, I, I don't know how good he is at this point. He can never really stay healthy, but he could. he's an interesting story to look at uh, on this team as well. But Jose Brasino had a great year last year at the plate. 18, how about 18 home runs yeah. behind the plate and a 930 OPS? That's great. And Tillman Pugh, of course, had a, just off the just a bonkers year. And, uh, you know, and, and on the pitching side of things, uh, at least on paper, I think they look really good. I think the starting rotation uh, is a sh- really strong one. I think JJ, I think JJ Hoover is going to bounce back. Um, I think he got a little bit unlucky last year. Thomas Dorman, he's a great arm. Uh, Daniel Corsino uh, pitched well in uh, pitched well in Taiwan last year. Uh, so I, I think. Overall, I think the and Jeff Thompson's a solid arm to round out the rotation. Austin Adams is the closer is a nice option. Daniel Gibson uh, is good. Henry Owens, God, if he can ever throw it, how to fight, how to how to throw strikes, he would be so good. But you know what? As a Red Sox fan, I've been saying that for the longest time. Uh, but I think that I think their pitching staff is loaded. Uh, I, I think offensively, they're I don't know if they're as well, if they're as good as they will were last year. Uh, however, that is hard to obtain because that just speaks to how great they were uh, last year. And overall, though, I think they're they're probably the front runner in the South, but it'll be them in high point. Uh, I think battling it out for the South Division title and probably meeting in the playoffs again. I'd agree with that. I certainly would. It seems to be the way it's going to have to go. Uh, we're going to round out our preview with the final team of the preview, which is the Wild Health Genome South Division. Mark Minikazi moves over here first year for him in uh, Wild Health. Uh, Scrappy Hopkins, Matt Phipps, Chase Valet, 
Luke Becker, Will Decker, Andrew Kiefer, who is on the IL right now, Riley Mahan, uh, Clelewis Rondon, Anderson Miller, Demetrius Moore, Felix P.A., Chris Shaw on the pitching side to start with the rotation, Dustin Beggs, Aaron Blair, Robbie Scott, Max Profs, uh, Eli, I believe it would be, Eli Villanueva, and that is your rotation. Pitching-wise from the bullpen, Luis Guzman, Ryan Harper, Will Kerwin, Josh Martin, Diego Moreno, uh, Nate Peden, Tim Peterson, Jonathan Ramos, and Jack Weinberg. And that is the last roster that we will cover today. Yeah, I think, I don't really know what to make of this Wild Health team uh, yet. I, I think that there's definitely some, first of all, the fact Felix PA is still playing baseball. That was is my incredible. thought too. That was my thought I mean, too. Wow. Yeah. I mean, wow. I'm just happy to Felix. see him. I love Felix PA. It's, I mean, we're talking a guy who's played in the MLB like a decade ago. I mean, that's yeah. awesome that he's still that he's still playing baseball. I I I think there's one I think there's one theme when it comes to this team. Yeah. I, and it's bounce backs. There's yeah. a lot of guys who struggled last year in various uh, in, in various levels and leagues, and it's just hard to know. Um, and I think that, uh, I mean, Chris Shaw in particular on the offensive side, he's a guy that uh, I thought would do a lot better than he did in Long Island on Long Island last year, and he really struggled, like really struggled. So uh, he's a guy that. I think could be interesting. Demetrius Moore as well is another uh, another good outfielder. I, I I don't I just I can't project this team to be that great. Um, and then I, I think on the offensive side, Robbie Scott is certainly interesting. Uh, if um, he's uh, he's a great bullpen arm, but we'll see if he ends up being in the starting rotation as well. Uh, I think in the bullpen, Diego Moreno I like a lot. Tim Peterson I also like a lot. Uh, I. He's a guy who's been around the Atlantic League for a little bit. You could see him start some games as well. Josh Martin is another guy that I really like as well. Uh, formerly in the Phillies organization in Sugarland as well. Ryan Harper is a pretty big name too, but uh, uh, I think he's he's a guy I know. Uh, I believe last night when he pitched, uh, he struggled. He gave up four runs in one inning. I uh, don't want to define him by one run, but yeah. by one outing, but it wasn't good against a very good high point team. Um, of course, gave up that home run to Ben Aklinski, uh, who, who was uh, playing for Lexington last season. Um, a lot of people gave up home runs to Ben Aklinski last year. Yeah. But uh, I think there's a lot of bounce backs. I think the pitching is solid. The lineup, I don't think, is very good. Um, so I, I don't. I think that them, Charleston, and uh, Gastonia are kind of on a similar playing field. I would probably put Wild Health and... Uh, I would probably I say Wild Health like it's a city. Uh, <laughs> I mean, technically, I'd, that's the name I'd, of the team. So I'd, I'd put the Genomes uh, and Charleston and Gastonia probably in, in a similar plateau, just definitely not on the level of Lexington and High Point. But uh, some interesting names, specifically on the pitching end of things, that if they could all pan out, I think could make a really good pitching staff. I just don't think they'll score enough runs to compete uh, for uh, a playoff appearance in this division. See, I think they could possibly, if they get hot at the right time and a couple teams get cold, if this was the second half roster, I would mark them as a playoff team because I'm that confident in guys like Shaw, Moore, um, Rondon, 
a couple other guys in there as well that I really do think have some potential. I understand your concern about the roster as far as the lineup goes. That is a little concerning, but I do think they'll get enough performers that they'll manage to uh, to turn up something. Plus, we know from the Lexington group, they find players and they just kind of show up and they play well. So I'm not that concerned about it. I think there'll be additions and I think they'll do well there. Pitching-wise, I really like this rotation. I There's no real weak starter there. Robbie Scott's still kind of to be determined as a starter, but right now he is marked as a starter. So I, I imagine he will... Uh, He'll do all right. And if not, worst case scenario, you put him back in the bullpen. Your bullpen gets that much better. And you have four good starters. So overall, I think it's a really solid team. I'm kind of surprised they didn't use uh, Tim Peterson as a starter. I think he could do that. But hey, that's their call to not. So, I mean, hey, you could always swap out Scott for Peterson. I mean, hey, you have that luxury of swapping major leaguers here. So overall, I really love the pitching stuff. I think it's one of the better ones in the league. And I think that alone keeps them in contention for a while especially if we have another year where pitching is at a premium. I don't think it'll be the case because ABS isn't here anymore. You don't have any real other rules than uh, just your standard ones that we talked about in the beginning with the double hook and the steal first. So I think pitching will be better as a whole, but if you're in the best of the best in one grouping, you have a certain advantage here. And we saw, to a certain extent, Southern Maryland won the second half crown by doing that last year. So if they can have kind of that second half Southern Maryland performance in either half with this team, I don't rule them out. Granted, it's a much more difficult division, but even still, I'm not totally convinced that this team is out of it. I think they are definitely the third best team in the division, but I think there is still a gap between them and Charleston, even if there's a bigger gap between them and High Point slash Lexington. So Yeah, I, I, will, I will say I think that uh, their pitching definitely will keep them in it. I just, I'm just not a big fan of the offense, personally. I just, That's fair. That's I don't fair. know. I, I, just, I just can't really see it. Uh, and yeah. I mean, we're relying on guys who play, were playing in the SEC last year to fair. play in the infield for Very fair I, point. I just don't know. So uh, that that's kind of my view on it. I, I do agree the pitching is, is definitely strong. All right. Fair point. Very fair point there, and I agree with that. So uh, we are at the prediction stage of it. We are over two hours, which is something I wanted to avoid, but hey, we're here anyway. We'll try and quickly just go with uh, playoff predictions, division winners, and then I guess pitcher and player of the year, just to keep it quick. Who do you have making the postseason in the Atlantic League this year? So uh, I think for the North, uh, for the North, I think is for me not one that required a whole lot of thought. I think clearly the two best rosters in the North are the Long Island Ducks and the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs. In in my view, uh, will again subject to change given who gets picked up and whatnot. However, I think they are the two. Uh, I think the Blue Crabs and the Ducks are the two best rosters at the moment. I think they. I think the Ducks win the division. I think the Blue Crabs aren't far, very far behind. I think they're two. They're clearly the two best teams now. Granted. If the Ducks were to win both halves per se, this could get dicey. But I think if we're assuming two and two, uh, yeah. I think I think it'll be Long Island and Southern Maryland. Uh, and in the South, I I, I got to go with High Point and Lexington uh, at the moment. Uh, however, um, you know, with Wild Health, uh, can maybe pick up a couple of bats. I think that which you could definitely pick up midseason. They could be in the mix as well. But I think I think you're talking. Long Island, Southern Maryland, High Point, Lexington. 
I agree on the north side of things. I I do think uh, I like the Southern Maryland team more than last year's team. And last year, they did prove me wrong by actually following through and living up to their potential. So I am comfortable picking them to win one of the two halves. Long Island is given. They always win at least one. I, I can't remember the last time Long Island missed the postseason, to be blunt. So... Hey, it's hard to go against them. I agree on Lexington too. They're a good team. They always had, they always add. They find a way to keep in things, and hard for me to say otherwise. I want to go high point. I really do, but I could very well see the same situation as last year playing out, where they have a couple of bad weeks. It tanks them, and then that's just enough to screw them, and they wind up having either the second or best overall record, and then they wind up missing out on that front with a Charleston or a Gastonia or a Wild Health just having a really good like month-long period and then just keeping pace the rest of the way. I mean, I could even very well see a wild card situation where Lexington winds up winning the thing again. Ultimately, in the end, though, I'm I'm as anticlimactic as this is, I am going to agree with you. I think it is high point in the end. The roster's just too good, and there's too much batting power with enough pitching that it's hard to pick against it. Uh, overall, though, championship matchup, what are you thinking? Um, You know, I don't... I, I Long Island always seems to be there. Yeah. And I, I acknowledge that. Uh, and I also acknowledge that the Long Island roster will be probably different uh, yeah. towards the end of the year. I think this Southern Maryland roster is so good. I think this is the year they get over the hump. Oh, I think I think we see the Blue Crabs in the championship in, in the championship series. I, I I'm ready to eat my words on this, but I think it's them. Uh, I think it's them, and I think it's Lexington. I think it's I think it's Southern Maryland and Lexington uh, in the championship series. Uh, however, I think in the championship series, I think Lexington just has too much talent as their roster is currently constructed, especially in that starting rotation. Uh, and you know, they'll pick up guys. Uh, I think that as the roster is currently stand, I have Lexington over Southern Maryland. I'm not going to deviate all too much. I still am just too gun shy. I'm picking Southern Maryland to pick them to win a playoff run. I think they'll give Long Island a good scare. Don't get me wrong. I think they're going to get spooked good, but I don't think they're going to win it out. I think it could go the distance. I think it is a, a five game series, but in the end, I think Long Island does pull it out. As far as Lexington High Point, this is where we deviate. I like High Point enough. And I think there's enough returning guys that if they stay the full year, they there is a motivation to know that they should have been in the postseason last year. There's going to be a comparison thing. And I'd understand on this level, it's different from a major league or even the college rank where, you know, it's a bit more of a, a thing. But there is still a motivation there. And as an athlete, you find motivation wherever you can to perform your best. And I think High Point has enough. Again, I think it's a five-game series. I don't think it's a cakewalk by any stretch, but I think they can do enough to beat Lexington and make it to the championship game for the first time in their franchise history. Likewise, I think if they get that far, I like them enough to beat Long Island. I'm not sure if that requires a full uh, full ride in, uh, in games, but I do think... They, uh, they're they a good enough team to beat Long Island. I, I just have this feeling that Long Island, while they always do find guys to add throughout the year, 
I think this could be the year where they're just a little bit weaker, they're a little bit beatable, that they showed cracks in their armor last year. This year, while I do love that rotation they have, there's enough doubt there that I I don't know if they're going to be able to keep enough of those rotation pieces throughout the year or replace them throughout the year. So I'm going to go high point as my uh, champion. Okay, I like it. Yeah, uh, Player and pitcher of the year, quickly. All right, pitcher of the year. I'm going to go Bennett Perry for the Ducks. Bennett Perry, I think okay. he's 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 a guy that I think is really going to bounce back. Uh, and uh, I think tonight, or excuse me, I don't know why I said tonight, but uh, I think Bennett Perry is going to be going to merge as one of the Atlantic League's better arms again. Uh, and I think he's going to do it. I think he is going to be another guy who's who's going to stick around the whole year, and he's going to do a really good job. And I've I've Bennett Perry as my pitcher of the year. And for my player of the year, I bought Jerry Downs for high point. Uh, he's Downs, a guy last, right. I mean, he had an unbelievable year last year. I think he keeps it up again. I think he keeps up hitting for power. He has the track record to show that he can do it. He can hit for average. He can hit for power. And I, I think in a really good high point lineup, their pitchers are going to have to pitch to him. Uh, and so I think Jerry Downs is going to win the uh, player of the year. So those are my award picks. All right, I'm going to keep it fairly anticlimactic. I'm thinking Daryl Thompson again because I know better than the bet against Daryl Thompson. It's like betting against Tom Brady. It's just a bad decision. You don't do that. And as far as my player of the year, this one's a lot closer. It's a lot tougher. I Part of me feels like it's going to be someone from Long Island because it feels like they always have to have an award. But at the same time, Last year, I said, if Carlos uh, Castro had played the full year in York, he would have been my MVP. This year, I'm again hoping he plays the full year. And if he does, I'm willing to call him my MVP or my player of the year. Uh, I'm going with Carlos Castro as player of the year and Daryl Thompson as pitcher of the year. I just have a feeling about it. All right. Fair enough. There you have it. Yep. So that's our preview. That's the way we think it'll shake out. Uh, we may not have given you the best North division as far as like standing wise. And we're in, I mean, at this point, I think we could both agree it's going to be some form of Long Island, Southern Maryland, and then probably York based off of the lineup. And then I'd probably go Staten Island over Lancaster. But I think those two are fairly interchangeable. Would you say that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I would agree with that. All right. So, yeah. So that's pretty much how that shakes out. There's the full preview. Um I hope you guys enjoyed it. It's a marathon. It's about two hours long. Uh, we'll be doing these again for a couple other leagues. Keep an eye out for that in May. Uh, but with that said, we're just going to go to the plugs and get out of here because this is running rather long. If you want to follow the show, you could do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You could do so on Instagram at IndieBallReport and at ALPB underscore news. You can find all the things we used in this preview. I'll try and get PDFs of both the doc and the spreadsheet up on the website. The website is IndieBallReport.com. You can find the show notes there. You can find everything there that you want to check out. And there'll be a written post that will go up there over the weekend as well. Uh, you can find the show wherever you find podcasts. All the major ones, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podomatic, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. You know, if they have podcasts, we're probably there. Rate, review, and subscribe if you can. You know the standard jazz. Uh, that all said, do we have anything else left to add in this mammoth one? Uh, since it's a marathon a uh, episode, I'll spare people the the, uh, the thing to add. Just, you know, Atlantic League Baseball is back, and that's great. Yep, I second that. 
playoff hockey's nearly here that's what i'll add and there's usfl football on tonight new jersey generals michigan panthers this is last night now when you're listening to this i realize but gonna be watching some usfl football in on one screen atlantic league baseball on the other screen so go jenny's go that's all i got to add and until next time don't forget to play ball